So how's your week? It was good. It was good for uh, a very specific reason, actually. And that reason is I have a new routine in the morning and the evening. Do you have a morning routine and an evening routine? Or are you just kind of free flow? Free flow. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I realized that, and I, this is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. I want to think more of my own thoughts, which requires reading more and writing more, I feel like. Those are like the two parts of that because writing the, the really, writing is to uh to kind of uh entrench the thoughts get them yeah memorialize them well i feel like when you write like that's almost the purest form of thinking because when you have to formulate it and get it out it's different than when it's just banging around in your head yeah and when you sit there and write which is hard i'd have to be literate to do that <laughs> <laughs> well then i'm glad i got a i got something up on you there here you go um but yeah so i've been trying to do 45 minutes of writing in the morning when I'm fresh because I also want to build up a body of my own thought and and be able to put it out there eventually. And have AI mimic it for you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I want virtual, to originate. Virtual Chris. <laughs> oh, virtual yeah. Chris. I'm building my clone. But then at night, I want to spend 45 minutes uh, reading stuff too. So um, Rewire the West on X mentioned that they were going to be doing a canto at night of Dante I've never encountered never, that never before. Read no, have you? Uh, parts of it, yeah. Parts of it, yeah, yeah. And it's it's, it's work, it's, but it's enjoyable. It's a heavy lift, but it's uh, it's pretty intense. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty intense. You don't want to be uh, at the bottom of his levels. No, yeah, no. So I'm looking forward to digging into that um, and tapping into it. And it does it it it's a it's a virtuous cycle. I do that before I go to sleep. And then I, my mind thinks about it all night. And I yeah. think I wake up and I'm like ready with new ideas, which is different. I feel like I'm loading up on stuff that I care about and that matters rather than just you know, consuming stuff. Um, I'm trying to remember who it is, Einstein or Edison, maybe a couple of them that would solve problems in their dreams. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tell they, me about that. Yeah. It, it was, it's like they would have some intractable math problem or something they couldn't deal with. And... They would go to sleep, and the solution would come in their sleep, and then they'd wake up and write it down. Interesting. Yeah. yeah now, if you could do that cool. on purpose, yeah, right? Yeah. Maybe you can to an extent. Maybe they were. I don't. I don't know. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Sleep <sighs> is an interesting, interesting deal. Well, not to jump too far off topic because I do want to swing back to this, but I saw on X that somebody was talking about a new lucid dreaming device oh yeah did you see that <laughs> i've seen that yeah and what's interesting about that in light of what you said here about einstein or whoever solving problems in their sleep is that on a previous episode of the podcast we asked can anything be more real than reality and we got a comment that said i had a lucid dream once that felt more real than reality and i didn't respond because i want to say is feeling yeah does that actually I mean i worked 20 20 30 years ago i worked on lucid dreaming and um, now this ought to be an interesting story yeah you know it's not that interesting because i wasn't what happened this is interesting so it must have been longer than that i was pretty young like i fell asleep watching some show don't remember what it was and it morphed right into me being there in the show and it was like it felt pretty darn real and it i felt like i was in control of what was happening so i started studying that came across lucid dreaming and then you know there's these techniques where you visualize certain objects and at that point when you recognize it in the dream then you become aware that you're in a dream and you can control it 
and like uh, tap, yeah, you know, or yeah, did different things. And um, yeah, I worked on that for a while. I was really never successful. And you know, as I think about it, it's like, boy, we're slaves to social media. We're like, are like you're finding purposeful time to think. Mm-hmm. Do we really want to like invade our sleep? as well with with uh i don't know well the way they were pitching that or somebody was is that you can now be productive in your sleep yeah i don't want i don't want to be productive there's no rest i want to sleep yeah no rest for the weary that's right yeah um okay i i what what was the not for me i think maybe yeah yeah although as a young man i wanted to do it and not everyone can do it right i don't know that i think i heard that. that i don't know so anyways, yeah, the purposeful, and I wanted to bring this up in case anyone needed some recommendations outside of the mainstream, like some food for thought that isn't just what you pick up yeah. on social media or whatever. I found this, it's called the Dissident Review. It comes out, I don't know if it's four times a year, amazing stuff. Huh. Um, the, the quote is, we strive for the forbidden uh, from Ovid. And um, the reason it's phrased as the Dissident Review is because this is stuff that basically the mainstream politicians don't want you to have. And by that, I mean the, the progressives. Yeah, um, you know, I, um, Posbiak, Jack Posbiak, I saw a funny thing a year ago from him saying, be a rebel, get married and have children. Yeah, that's it's like so it's, funny. That's now the, that's, you're now the dissident. Right, right. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like there's a holdover thought that, you know, the hippie movement, everything that happened in the 60s and carried over in the 70s up until that that was countercultural. But now it's just mainstream. Right. And that is so funny to have that realization. That hit me a while back, too. Like conservatives are they the are, dissidents they are, now. They are the dissidents. And interesting so book. that brings up uh, I am. I don't know what it stands for. Some really interesting people involved. There's some crossover between the authors in dissident and uh and i am counter counter revolution this this one i don't know if that's their slogan or if that's this particular one okay high quality i mean check this out but it's got rufo in there he okay. writes the last article in this one this is some high quality stuff that feeds into i think how conservatives should be thinking about things right now and you're not going to find this. Such as just like basic awareness of what's happening? It's, or? it's just high level stuff. A lot of it is historical. Um, a lot of it is how to apply. It looks good. Pressure and, and make things happen today. Like actually make things happen. Huh. Um, it's it's a great handbook of I, very interesting information. I see some D cells in here on agriculture. Of course, <laughs> of course. Um, and then these I know that you're going to be familiar with. New Criterion, yeah. love it. Yeah. First things, not a Catholic, but I find a lot of good food yeah. in here. Good stuff. And Claremont Review for anyone that doesn't know, I, I love this. Yeah, I love you know, this. I know about it, but I don't think I've ever read any of it. It's just book reviews from uh, perspectives okay. that I think you. And I would really like. Appreciate. So, so there's some stuff um, that can really get you fired up and, and not be so hopeless. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, with books like that, with institutions, you discover them and you realize you aren't so alone. Yeah. Right? It's not such a small segment of the population who feels the same. And, and that's a huge realization. You know, has hopes and fears of what's going on yeah yeah in our mimetic culture where there's just pressure to fit in with what you're being fed i mean when i started sort of having a an awakening from being a liberal i was a a liberal my whole life without realizing and i even bucketed myself as like a conservative but that was 
the water I swam in was liberal and I didn't know it. And yeah. as I started waking up to that, I was like, I did felt, I felt very alone until I started running into certain groups of people. So, oh, it was like, uh, it felt good to not be yeah. so alone. So, yeah, quote unquote red pilled, right? Yeah, although I can't ever keep up with the lingo because I believe, does that have more to do with your views on like feminism and women than just conservatism? No, I, I don't know all the pills. Just, yeah, I think red pill is just conservatism. Is although it? I heard black pilled last week. I don't know what that is. There's I think so that's many like, pills. Yeah, take take your pills. Yeah. The, um, you know, I grew up with <clears throat> with very liberal parents, flower children. They were actually, I think my mom might, she'll kill me if she <laughs> hears this, but I think she might have actually protested the Vietnam War at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, so there used to be a show called Family Ties with uh, Michael J. Fox. Right. And he was a uh, conservative guy with liberal parents. That was my, my deal. So I was never... Red pill, I was always the odd guy out, and it just seemed obvious to me. It seemed apparent. Uh, but I do remember distinctly when the media, when I realized I couldn't trust the news. I yeah. was reading CNN. It was probably in the 2010 time frame, maybe a little earlier. And it was like, huh, I think I know that's not right. And so I started looking and thinking, and it just led me, led me down this rabbit hole of, you know, I think I mentioned this before, it's not just reporting falsities, but it's, you can report facts, but they could be a very specific set of facts that lead people down Editorialized, selective information, selective presentation, yeah. context. And yeah, and that was a big deal. And then once you see that, you can't unsee it. Yeah. It's like... You literally can't read an article without questioning. You know, you, it's like trust. It's like if yeah. you ever work with someone and they, you know, lie to you or they do something uh, wrong, it's like you're always on guard at that point. You can't yeah. trust them. You know, it well, only takes a bit to lose it. But some people surely know that to an extent and just choose to gloss over it or it feels good, it resonates, and they, they want that. Because, like, there's somebody who's important in my life that I, I, I was like, and they live on. MSNBC and I said you know that that's like Fox News but for you know the other side right and there was, there was just like no it's not that you know <laughs> it's, it's fact based to them you know and that's just amazing yeah yeah and that is that willful do you think I mean on some level because I get it like when I thought that I was conservative but I was actually not in my you know thoughts and actions I thought too like the news was like that was the news you know right so maybe so maybe people or just aren't aware. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think they, uh, yeah, I don't know. We talk about useful idiots, right? right? I don't know how much of it is, is just not knowing versus knowing and not wanting to know. Yeah. Yeah. Choosing not to acknowledge. Right. Cause there's, there's like I mentioned before, I'll talk to, to, uh, colleagues, friends, and it's like how, how, how can you not? No, let's. And it really gets to be frustrating because I think there's people who seek truth, right? And they're, you know, I try to be that and probably not always that, but you, you seek seek truth and you want to like make sure what you're, you know, it, to me it's science. It's like you can't build on that foundation of science unless the bottom is solid, right? The, yeah. next, the next step you take is assuming that what's before it is, is true, and 
And so I think that's really important, but I'll run into people and, and, you know, thinkers and they just don't, it's like they haven't, they haven't, they, they, they haven't gone down to make sure that that's real. And they, and when you're presented with it, you just end up wasting your time debating, you know, facts. Yeah. And it's like, well, do you think what? that at the light flip switches when somebody experiences discomfort and only when they experience discomfort? Because I think that's been true. Anytime I've reexamined things in my life, whether on the spiritual realm, political realm, whatever it may be, any deeply held beliefs, it was because I had some discomfort. And hmm. I went looking for the answers that normally I wouldn't care about, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. You know, Like, is I that can... person too comfortable that you're talking about? Uh, well, you know, I've always been com- pretty comfortable, and I yeah. s- try to seek. So maybe it just depends on the person. There's a... Their yeah. subjective reality uh, to them. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know what drives. And, you know, there's curious people. There's people who aren't as curious, and I think it just probably depends on the personality. Yeah. So you're you're you had discomfort, and that caused you to reexamine, huh? Yes. What, what source? Like external discomfort or internal dissidence? Well, I used to work. Dissidence for, is a big one for me. That's true. Cognitive dissidence. Yeah, I used to work for a rather decent sized. Um, church denomination and before i worked in that arena i had a totally different view of christianity and religion than by the time i was done on the other side yeah and so there was all kinds of discomfort and and realizations just facade after facade came crashing down and then i was left you know i was working my way back to the foundation as Mm -hmm. things collapsed and then i had to you know start building back up and it was very um influential in both my my life and my wife's life when we ran into Jordan Peterson saying something along the lines of you you know for the things that you think you believe throw everything you have at it yeah and see what sticks yeah yeah no i think that's key i uh, that resonates with me when i was younger and i was this conservative amongst non like you know extended family were farmers and i mean you know, union people and teachers, a lot, big educate. My entire family was into education. So, you know, 98% liberal. Um, and so what I was always doing, I, I would remember like just as part of my thought world, I'd be attacking my views, right? I'd be having this, like, I was an only child, first of all. So I had, didn't have siblings noising up the house. Um, but yeah, you got to throw everything you have at it so that it's, because if it falls apart, then you don't have the right truth, yeah. right? If you can't debate yourself out of your position, then you're probably in good shape. Yeah, the thing that I've sort of lived by, and and I don't know when I came up with this, but it's been like my motto is, the truth never minds honest questions because it's the truth. And when you, I, I told myself- right. bring it on. Early on in the process of sort of like re-examining everything in my late 20s, I don't know when this was, that- Look out for the people who don't want you to ask questions. Yeah. And you see that, like, you know, someone will offer, what was it? RFK, RFK Jr. So I'm not the biggest fan of RFK Jr., but uh, he seems like an earnest, truth-seeking guy, right? Disagree on some politics. But he was, he wanted to debate, I can't remember the guy's name, one of the, one of the pro-COVID vaccine guys, um, and people started offering like a million dollars. Do you remember this? No. For the two of them to debate. And the, the other guy wouldn't debate. Interesting. 
And, you know, so someone pinned him down. It's like, well, why won't you do painting? It's like, well, that's like talking to a flat earther. It's like, I'm not even going to give it airtime. It's like, well, I don't know if that's a valid argument. But yeah, but yeah if, they, if you don't want to debate, that seems like problematic. Yeah, it's a red flag immediately. Yeah. 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 I, um, you know, there's uh, people who seek confirmation bias, right? Yeah. So it's like, I'm just going to, I'm only going to listen to people who agree with me, confirm my position. I feel better about it. I, I think what we're talking about is exactly the opposite. It's like you have to you have to read the other side, yeah. And you know whether you're liberal, you should be watching Fox News, and if you're a conservative, you should be reading the Times. And and it's painful, and it gets redundant. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know if if you can withstand that, uh, you know it, if you're willing to put your put your views to the test, I think a lot of people aren't. Yeah, and so I think I've I've thought about this a lot in terms of, you know, I, I think that what's true in the Apple ecosystem in terms of sunk costs, once you have AirPods and an iPhone and a Mac, you're like pretty stuck in that ecosystem. It's going to be painful to switch out. I think that same, same thing. thing applies yeah. to your thinking because I'm thinking in particular of a person um, who has particular credentials and they went to school and invested a lot of time to get those credentials. And there's uh, literally a playbook in their field that dictates, you know, here's how things work. And you can't go against that and remain credentialed. And now by the time yeah. you're in your 70s, 80s, are you going to go back and change your view and say, everything I did in my career is nullified and and that doesn't count? Like, turn your back on who you and were your whole life. I don't think there's a lot of people who can do that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I to some extent, I have that experience in the last couple of years. Uh, I mentioned I'm a new Catholic coming from agnosticism i for a while i call myself a deist um you know proud that george washington and jefferson were deists and um and it's the same thing as you attacked and you searched and you went deeper it's like okay you know yes i have this foundation of science and that explains how let's get to the why and um but yeah it's not easy because you're giving up kind of mental blueprints of, you know, gen decades of belief system, you know, how you arranged your mental map. Yeah. And yeah, so well, I, I get it. I think it, it too, it comes down to that phrase that we threw out, you know, that's, I feel like it's a little overused in certain circles. And that is that the map is not the territory. And a lot of people are used to their map. It's familiar. Yeah. And when you realize that it doesn't necessarily match, you know, what do you that's your that's your chance you can keep using it or not and it's scary to go on that adventure put those blinders on or yeah. or or go into the unknown yeah yeah which is which is needed you know this metaphor of i think it's needed i mean the truth is there you better you better go find it yeah right is there so let's talk about the the philosophy behind that is there is there damage is there danger in living a lie well is that living at all that's existing but that's not really living <laughs> there's semantics so here here I'll, I'll phrase it like this as we see technology you know coming down the turnpike you know it's more and more and more humanity is going to adopt it more and more and more you can say you can look at that two ways number one is that more efficient to outsource your 
you know, various things in your life to technology? Or does that actually make you more dependent? So efficiency versus dependency. And this sort of ties into what you're talking about because you, the, the more technology that you adopt, the less that you are capable of doing. And especially if you play that forward yeah. a few generations, like who knows wow. how to be, to grow their own food today? No. You know, for yeah. instance. I, it, it drives me crazy. I, I have this, uh, I grew up, my grandfather owned a transmission shop. And I grew up removing transmissions. And I've always been like a hands-on guy. And, you know, I have friends who don't turn a screwdriver. And it's like, how can you not? You're dependent now. You're dependent on someone to come fix your washing machine or whatever right. it is. And and that's, you know, that's not, it's partially they're culpable, mm -hmm. but it's partially society too, you know. Yeah. We, we specialized and all our time goes towards specialization and specializing arguably makes you more income, right? I'm better at this one thing. And so you go up there and you don't have time to do these other things. But I do think, I tell my boys that you need to do hands-on. I think it's part of feeling like a man. Maybe it's part of feeling human. You, you, have, to, you have to be creative with your hands or fix things with your hands to be living. Maybe that's what you're saying. I, yeah, I think so. Because we are embodied beings so you you can do mental work and you know that can have implications in the real world and mm -hmm. and be satisfying but also you you can't escape from your body and you don't want that to atrophy and so yeah to yeah. your to your point you know efficiency versus dependency and you know not knowing stuff so so is it really living really or just existing if you're if you're not really yeah, maybe yeah. maybe it comes back to I think we mentioned this before. If you don't affect the real world, if you don't affect the physical world, let's say that, right? I so I've recently moved. I um, uh, lived on a lake in the woods, and I think I mentioned this. Built a log cabin, um, spent twenty years raising the family there, and constant physical work. Right? I also did. You know, like half my time was working on the land or the house or whatever. Um, and then half my time was development or starting businesses. Um, but a couple of years ago, I moved to a city suburb and man, there's nothing to do. You know, you live on a, I don't know what we have a quarter acre or something. Um, what is there to do? You know, something breaks once in a while, you can fix it, but there's no projects. I'm not going to build a pond. I'm not going to install a greenhouse or geothermal or, you know, I'm not, yeah, there, there's so many things and it definitely feels, yeah, I'd probably say it feels less, like less living. I'd have to think about that. Yeah. The Daily Wire crew was talking about this on the latest Backstage Live uh, and they were talking about, you know, in the past you could hop on a ship and go explore. Yeah. And there was a new frontier. Yeah, there's and now there's not, you can't really do that today. Like, where could you even go? Yeah. Uh, except if you're like Musk and you're going to head to Mars. So, like, three people, you know, have the resources of right now Fun. to. Um, but one area that was identified by that group as a place where you could still kind of do that was in the business area, like, do some conquering on the business frontier. And it's not a direct correlation. It's not the same sort of. But it's something. Cause I, I mean, I get satisfaction from doing that. I get that. Yeah. yeah. 
but there's something about the physicality. I was going to uh, one of the deals I made with my wife um, when we homeschooled was, yeah, I was against it in the beginning, against homeschooling. Now I'm its biggest advocate. But um, one of the deals I made with her is we're going to take the kids and live on an island for a year. And like, like literally a deserted island. Did you do that? And we didn't do it. Oh. <laughs> we never did ended up doing it. But I still, I kind of regret that because there's nothing more, you know, physically primal than scratching out an existence with your bare hands. Yeah. Um, and I think that would have been great for the kids. Uh, you know, a year. Yeah. I think in, in the lifespan of whatever, yeah. 70 to 100, that's probably a, would have been a worthwhile thing to do. You sort of did the next best thing. You were like on a floating uh, island. It was a, it was a we, sailboat. But <laughs> we, lived, we lived aboard a boat when we got married. Um, like the day after we got married, we went, neither of us had sailed. We bought this big sailboat and um, it was waiting for us in the Bahamas. And we moved aboard and uh, yeah, we spent the first year, we were going to sail around the world, but uh, we were... We were getting to, ready to go through the Panama Canal, and she started getting motion sick when we weren't moving. Uh, so we go into a doctor. It was actually in Belize. I remember this. I think there was like literally like chickens on the floor maybe, um, and she was pregnant. So uh, I had her talked into having our firstborn in New Zealand, thinking this is great. He'll have dual citizenship. You know, this is awesome. The timing's, timing's going to work well. And, like, the next day, I wake up, and she's hovering over me with, with her eyes. You know, I open my <laughs> eyes, and she's like, take me home. And uh, so that, that was the end of that adventure. But then we did it again in uh, when they were teenage. I kept So we kept the boat for, um, you know, a couple of years, and I kept thinking, okay, once toddler, you know, a little older, she won't be so. And she never did want to get back aboard. Uh, but then when they were teenagers, we... We uh, give her another shot. And was it the same boat? No, I oh, okay. ended up selling that boat. We got a got a. Why? Why? What's the draw? Was it just the call to adventure? The call to adventure. Or do it before you can. Self sufficiency. Um, I'll tell you, it was one of the better things I've ever done. Hmm. Like it was way up there on the life satisfaction list. <clears throat> you know, you were you're your own utility company water, every, everything, you're, it's like mm. you are a self-sufficient island and you can move that wherever you want. Yeah. Um, and you can, you like, it's a sailboat. You literally go around the world. It doesn't matter. You can go anywhere with it. Um, so, yeah, that was a great time. Lots of stories there, hurricanes and crazy craziness. But Oh, wow. But, yeah, the physicality affecting the physical world, living more in the non- digital information world which is hard for me because i'm i'm all about you know yeah the information age well the way you have phrased it in the past comes down to usually uh, having adversity and how that can shape you but then the business of technology is sort of getting rid of that yeah and well even non-technology like i mean picture this island that never happened like <clears throat> you know mentally i i pictured it a lot because as plan on doing this, but you got water somewhere on the island, right? And hope that you pick an island that has some fresh water source. <clears throat> so what's your first order of business? It's like you're figuring out how to transport that water to your, you know, your uh, thatched hut. Hmm. Mm -hmm. You're overcoming adversity. But, you know, we've overcome adversity to the point where there's nothing left that's really adverse. 
Yeah. So I don't, it, it, like I say, it's a conflict in my head. I don't know how to resolve it. Yeah. Well, I think <clears throat> as I think about it, <clears throat> there's a dangerous convergence in the future where you can have so much technology getting rid of basically anything that you have to do that you can get to the point where it so. may not matter whether you're here or not. Like nothing would change really in the world. Maybe relationships if you know people. But then that's dangerous because you have these Malthusians on the other side saying with technology coming, we're going to have a whole class of what they would call useless people. They are saying useless people. And that those two paths sort of come to a dangerous intersection. Yeah. 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 Do we question, do we have useless people now? Well, yeah. Now that's a deep question. Can you even have a useless person? Is a person useless? Um, a person is valuable no matter what as a person, if you're a Christian, but that doesn't make them necessarily useful. And do they need to be useful either to themselves or to society? I guess that's the question. Yeah. What's your take? I feel like there's a lot of people who are not realizing their potential, right? You remember Rick Warren had a book, Purpose Driven Life? Mm-hmm. Never read it. 10, 20 years ago. A decent book, but like explosive bestseller. Millions and millions of copies. Um, it'd be interesting to know how many copies in the end. But tapping into something that I think is a human instinct maybe that you got to have purpose. If you don't wake up and have any purpose, that's probably not a good state of being. Yeah, but I think a lot of people either put that on the back burner or they know that purpose comes with strings attached. You know, if there's going to be meaning in life, then the things that you do matter. And a lot of people don't want what they do to matter, but then they run into this existential crisis by the time they realize they don't have much time left. So, so what percentage of people do you think run into an existential crisis? Well, that, that's what I'm saying. We're, we're kind of having a, a theme on accident for this podcast, which is that adversity is helpful uh, you know, um, and, and that caused, you know, like, for instance, some pain in my life caused me to rethink things on, you know, in spiritual front and political front, you know, front, like it's, it's almost a requirement, you know? Yeah. Um, so what, what percentage? Probably everyone at some point to some extent, but um, I'll just say, I think a lot of people find a substitute. There's a guy on Twitter who's all about, uh, you know, his solo entrepreneurship. And he makes X amount per month as a single dude. And like, this seems to be his substitute, maybe. I don't know. For a purpose, you know? Uh, he he lives for it, wants to share it with other people, which on his face is like, that's, that's fine. You know, that that's good. But is it the same as, you know, having purpose? So something in your life, we talk about this all the time, is going to be super ordinate over everything else. And is it just making money? You know, Everyone who has had a certain amount of money knows that money fixes money problems, but mm -hmm. there's other problems. You yeah. know, <clears throat> look at <clears throat> look at Hollywood. Um, doesn't seem to go well when they achieve that success. You know, that financial success. They typically, you know, I think the the percentage of people who end up uh, falling apart, drug addiction or uh, suicide at time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think if money's the end and you achieve it, it's like, well, now what? Speaking of that blueprint, I had this blueprint for so long. Now, now what? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like so um, nihilism. There, 
the levels end and there's no more levels. So you that's have to, right. Can <laughs> I put in a new game cartridge? For, <laughs> right. For you older people. Yeah. And I think that new cartridge often is um, I'm going to go meddle with other people's lives. Like once you have a lot of money, doesn't that seem to You're be talking about George Soros now? Are I'm you? talking about a lot of people <laughs> and you can you can meddle in good yeah, and bad ways. Both, probably both sides. Koch brothers or Soros. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, metal. They're trying to affect change that they think is good. Um, to, I, I, you know, maybe not, though. I always assume, like, altruistic motives. I think sometimes it's just destruction. Yeah, I like think it's so. It's just tearing down. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's the reenactment of the 70s. Let's tear down existing. It's, it's the French Revolution. Let's tear yeah. down the Third Estate. Let's... yeah. Yeah. I have an interesting take on this that I've been thinking about. And it has to do with this idea of order and chaos. And I was thinking this week about what creating is. What does that mean? And I think there's no difference between ordering and creating. And the the opposite of that would be uncreating, destru- destroying, entropy. destruction. Entropy, absolutely. And whether that's political or you're working on writing a paper, when you create, you're basically just putting things in order. We talked about how last podcast, I feel like everyone is creating all the time, whether they mean to or not, or doing the opposite. And basically that amounts to they're ordering their life or they're disordering their life. And so what's your take talk about on that? Dis- talk about disordering. Well, you could think about that in political terms. You know, when you set up a country, you're putting some order in place. And then something like the French Revolution comes along, and that's about disordering mm-hmm. um, the order that was in place. Mm-hmm. So create, creation and destruction. So um, what's it called? Uh, creative destruction? Not necessarily bad, right? No, tell, tell me what Amer- you mean. American Revolution, right? We tore down our ties with uh, England and created a new a new system. So we destroyed, but we created. Uh, I think creative destruction happens in a lot of fields. Um, Google might be going through it right now, right? They realize, I was reading something, they, they seem to realize like a year ago that something was going to change. Like they just started cutting costs and- AI. Yeah, they saw AI before, you know, the rest of us. And realize that they've got to destroy their existing business and create, you know. Bill Gates talked about that a lot with Microsoft. He was always concerned. He's like, there's no company that survives long periods of time. They don't go through that transformation because it's Mm -hmm. difficult. Once you're big and you're, you know, you have all this legacy baggage, you can't change process and people. And Mm -hmm. so the creative destruction is hard, but sounds like you did it in your life. Yeah, well, what I think you're actually describing is uh, reordering or recreation. And because of the limited landscape of of reality, I mean, for one thing to exist in a certain place like America, the American government, for instance, something else, for for something to replace it, that has to go away Mm -hmm. and something else would have to come in. So that's a reordering, a, a restructuring yeah. Um, and so, and like in my personal life, that that was a recreation. I am not the same Chris that I was, you know, 20 years ago or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, in a way, there has to be a death for the new life to come in. 
um, of whatever that is. And this gets into certain things are worth protecting then and, and certain things are, they, they don't deserve, they're not deserving of protecting the, of life in the first yeah. one, you know, yeah. I'm not really talking about people, but you know, like certain ideas, ideas. Yeah. Yeah. You ever read Gad Saad? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. What's, uh, what's his, what's the famous book of, um, virus Vi- something mind virus or yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, uh, talks about kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, these, we get these bad, bad ideas that don't deserve to be around, but they are contagious and they just flow from person to person. And uh, he gives a great example. I just, it's a little bit off topic, but he's like, you know, let's, the universities for the past five or 10 years will bring people from different parts of the world, different ethnicities, different cultures, and they'll put them together and then they'll have these uh, um, orientations and they'll talk to them and so they'll say, hey, here are microaggressions. They're, you know, someone's going to say this and you should be offended. And, you know, like the complete opposite of good advice because you expect there to be a lot of differences in cultures. And, and instead of like, hey, assume they didn't mean the bad thing, mm-hmm. right? This is their culture. Right. You can talk it out and learn and you'll find you probably are both nice people. It's going to work. We actually did the complete opposite thing. Mm -hmm. We inflamed, we we created all this environment where we inflamed people into hatred and offense. Yeah. Um, It's a pleasure. My wife says it's a pleasure to take offense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. So tell me about the news. Um, I think the mind-blowing thing of the week on the tech front and, and the AI front was OpenAI Sora. Sora. Wow. Sora. <laughs> Mind-blowing. Yeah, it's um, pretty amazing. So basically is the gist of it that you get a very realistic video that can be up to a minute long from just a prompt. Up to a minute, which uh, beats most things that have been out there, which are really It makes you know, Runway seconds. ML look yeah. like yeah. a toy. You know, and it's shocking because it was... I don't know, six months ago that, you know, I'm counting fingers in a still image. The infamous Will Smith spaghetti video. Oh yeah, the video, that's that's another, those were just, those are complete train wrecks. But just even like mid journey, even imagery, you know, was having problems with like, they'd have six fingers. And now we're like, we can make amazing video like with physics, working and understanding yeah. reflections that I, I saw one of the Sora uh, videos of a train looking at a train window going through a city and it's like and the person is in the reflection rounds and yeah with their phone yeah and it's well done yeah. you know and i've said this for a while i've said i think and maybe with some pleasure that hollywood is in trouble mm-hmm. because as soon as we get you know actors and actresses that instead of 20 million dollars per movie are AI free? Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna change the dynamic there, and it sure. feels like we're getting close. Yeah, I mean, it almost looked like you could make a, your own version of Interstellar pretty easily from this. It kind of does because while they're only one minute clips, you know, you're the video guy, but it's you know it's rare you don't have a twenty minute single. Hey, there's some movies, there's some interesting movies that are with single take. Yeah, um, North. That that middle aged North, uh, I don't know. There were, there was one recently that was 
pretty popular. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you crank that up there to a few minutes yeah. and carry over the style. Right. You're going to be, you're going to be a business. It, it looks like it's almost more of a game engine, like unreal engine than, you know, what, how do you think they're running that? It's, gen it's, it's generative. It's all it's generative. Just like, it's just like LLMs. Yeah. I think. And I could be wrong there, but I assume, I assume it's generative. It's, um, I'm staring at, just happens to be on my screen now. I'm staring at a guy eating a cheeseburger. That guy doesn't exist. I remember I have a company that, um, tries to figure out customer experience in, um, kind of face-to-face -face employee customer situations. And one of the first products we made was a, um, small camera and it would be looking at customers and seeing if they're happy or not. Right. And in order to test that, I had to go through thousands and thousands of faces, tens of thousands of faces. And NVIDIA came out with, there was a website called, uh, this person does not exist, mm -hmm. I think is the name of it. Um, and I remember just being amazed. All these, and I set up lots of iPads. I had a whole array of iPads and all my little instruments looking at these iPads uh, and measuring. And I remember looking at those pictures thinking, that's crazy. These people don't exist and they look so real. They, they're, yeah. I mean, they, it's not a video game. These like, and this, this video, the Sora video is just like that. It's not open for public consumption yet, right? I, think I don't you have think to be so. a developer. And it's funny because they said that they were opening it up to creators. And it's funny because even OpenAI isn't saying that we're going to get rid of a creative class. You know, and this brings up something I've been thinking about, which is you have ideas and, and those are essences. And something like Sora is idea decoration in a way. And so... Or, or idea realization or idea yeah um, yeah but i mean like the the idea even if it's just in your head and you're just thinking about it there the essence of that thing in a way it's almost more pure in your head because it's not yeah it's distraction free so so tell me this and i remember being young i don't remember what book it wasn't lord of the rings because the hobbit wasn't out yet but there was some book i read and then i saw a movie and, and I remember thinking, I kind of enjoyed the mental imagery of the book mm. that it produced. Like yeah. somehow it was your own, maybe. But so like Sora is going to enable, you know, what do they say? Democratizing creativity. It's like, you don't have to be an amazing. But is it democratizing creativity or is it democratizing the decoration yeah. of an idea? Because. Yeah. Fair enough. Because, you know, you still have to have the idea of an astronaut yeah, and a horse. Whoever, like, if you go back to more old school stuff like Lord of the Rings or Tol Tolkien, he comes up a lot on our podcast. Um, he had to write the words first, he envisioned it before yeah. Yeah. somebody, Jackson, yeah, turned and, it into and a same movie. Thing here. You have to prompt it, you have to come up with the idea and prompt it. Right. Now, AI will be able to do some ordering, some creating. Um, in a way, but it's not the same as human creation. It can definitely do the decorating, but it's pulling from a well of human creativity over centuries. Yes, it is. And so, so the question is, can it come up with more than that well? That's right. I'd, I'd say maybe. People, that's an unpopular opinion, probably with you, with with at least my wife. 
Um, not yet, would you say? No, maybe. You think so, so? So there's... How would you know? So here's the deal. Yeah, tough to know at the moment, but... And I do have pushback on this. Okay, yeah, I'm sure you do. Okay. So let, let, me def- let me defend it for a second. Give it to me. Um, so let's, let's take... Let's take um, I, I'm trying to figure out how to make a good analogy. Let's take a picture of a horse, you know, and a creative person some time ago came up with a unicorn, right? Um, there is no reason that you can't randomly, you know, uh, a generative model, an LLM model, can't take a horse and add some random effect to it, right? Well, look at this horse with three tails. So I can create that now, right? I can write a story about the horse who had three tails. And I can, you know, I just randomly came up with that in my head. I don't think I've ever seen a horse with three tails in any stories Mm -hmm. or or anything. Um, And then I can work on writing it down or maybe now I can make images or maybe I can with Sora, I can make a, a video of it. An LLM can come up with that same thing. Right? No. Hasn't existed. Uh, okay, they, let's, it let's can come up with it. it. But what's really new there? Because we already have horses and we already have yeah, tails. Yeah, but that's not human. That's not but it's human just creation. a combination of yeah. things that have already existed. And I'd say that's what we do. No? That's, that's right. Because human or machine, there's only so many archetypes that you can choose from. We, now, we've had the conversation about superheroes before. You can so, only create so many superheroes so, uh, before you hollow out I don't know the ones Marvel, that exist. I don't know if Marvel agrees with that. It's no. like unbelievable. You see trailers. I don't even watch them anymore. There's yeah. like 72 characters doing crazy things. But but all fiction, including science fiction, references real things in reality. Planets, universes, yeah. you know, horses, right. tails. But wasn't the premise that we that it can't be more creative than humans? Or it can't be as creative? There's the question. What was your premise? Well, is there anything that can truly be novel at this point? Because existence is existence, well, how, and we're how drawing about, from How about it. at any point, then? Well, that's right. We, we have a certain okay, well, well, combination of things that we can do. <clears throat> certain potential can be actualized, and beyond that, because we're limited. Yeah. Yes. I'll, I guess my, my uh, contention is that I don't know that there's a difference. So the only difference that you can probably come up with is that that there's divine inspiration, right? That that can happen in people and it can't happen in machines. That there could be the difference. Perhaps. But I don't know, putting that aside, I don't know that there, I don't, my contention is that an LLM can be as creative as a person. Um, that could be, maybe, I, I don't, I won't endorse that at the moment, but perhaps, maybe, uh, I'd have to think more about that. But, you know, it's just kind of like, can you say that there's something other, you know, can a triangle be something other than a triangle? That the, the concept, the definition of something, a triangle, it's going to be triangular, however you talk about it or think about it. So there's just, because of reality and language and descriptions and limits like things there's only so many things yeah to be creative with i agree it might be limited Uh, maybe not so maybe the even with the multiverse 
Maybe. Even with infinite universes. You know, I'm not an expert on the mathematics of infinity, but it feels like, it feels like, well, yeah. I mean, okay, so we're back to effective yeah. versus real. Conceptual versus actual. Yeah. yeah. So I think effectively an LLM can be, you know, take a triangle. Someone can visualize being creative with that triangle and giving it, uh, you know, the lines are wavy. Still, you can tell it's a triangle, but it's wavy. I was creative when I doodled that on my paper. And all I'm saying is that I think we are at, if not we're shortly at, the ability for machines to be as creative as people. Uh, yeah, well, putting, putting divine uh, inspiration aside. A, uh, a machine could always outdo humans in you know, a combinatorial way, it could come up with different, more ways to make a triangle look. But the triangle, the concept of the triangle is always going to be a triangle, whether machine or human. Yeah. And so I I would say that's true. But then... So you're at Plato's forms. Yeah, but also like, and we talked about this a little bit before, you know, does the fact that a human originated um, combination, does that count for other humans more in some instances than a machine originated combination because humans are going to identify with other limited beings, humans. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Again, I come back to paintings, right? Like you value the original a lot more than the duplicates, even though you can make the duplicates identical. Yeah. I think, I think this is an interesting conversation. The, what comes after AI in terms of impressive technology? Is there <laughs> anything after? Because embodied AI. But that's, you know, what, what, what after that? Like, is, is there any other technological breakthrough? And it, it's perhaps we just can't conceive of it. But flying, like, what's flying after faster that? than the speed of light. Okay. <laughs> and that, is that literally all that would be left? You know, like. I don't know. I think um, Asimov, maybe. Someone who talked about, you know, true science, what is it? True progress in science is indistinguishable from magic. Magic. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think we can conceive of what we can't conceive of. Mm -hmm. Like we have this, like, you know, you look at science fiction, who I think are great futurists. They're typically looking, you know, 20 to 100 years ahead because they can't picture much further than that. It's right. like too unknowable. Um, so yeah, I can't, I can't go that far. I continue to be just wondering about the next 10 years. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I ran into the thought, you know, a lot of people today are looking forward to, you know, this future tech driven utopia. And in the future, there's always uh, a point that you're working towards and it's just progress between here and there. And it's completely at odds with the notion of a previous golden age or a golden era because that says there was something better that could have in happened the in the past yeah and maybe we're going down and yeah. not up and i don't know maybe we'll find that that's true and that technology like we're looking at the 50s right now <laughs> or life was so much better in the 50s yeah or even you know people say they call it the dark ages but it was the middle ages that's sort of a, yeah, a slander against it and there there was a lot of interesting things happening there and there was there was room to explore there, you know there was but i think part of that period of time 
you know, after the fall of the Roman Empire and the burnings of the libraries and the loss of knowledge, mm-hmm. like they literally were looking back at aqueducts and saying how they couldn't make an arch anymore. Yeah. Like this concept of keystone somehow. I think there's some of that could, today too. What's that? I think we have some of that today too, like lost <laughs> arts. Probably. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. But yeah. I wonder, it's the, a good question. Will we look back and. Because the question is, um, what, what are you optimizing for? <laughs> More humanity? Because if that's the case, it might've been that there was a golden age of humanity in the past that we can't attain to today if we're using technology to try to find utopia. Because if we outsource all of our living to machines. Yeah. Yeah, it'll it'll really be interesting to see how this plays out. We're gonna get to see it. I think we're gonna get to see it soon. I think we're seeing it kind of now, but it's gonna get pretty intense. The, you know, everything keeps coming fast and hot. And like I said, I think capitalism is going to drive it quickly. It's it's a it's an inevitable event. And I was I was listening to something. Uh, maybe it was Altman this week on regulation again. And it's um, it's really troubles me because it's you know if you regulate, it's kind of like drugs, right? Only big pharma can afford to make drugs, to go through all the regulations. So you have kind of this oligopoly. Yeah, it's a mode of sorts for them. Yeah, and so they're actually kind of interested in promulgating. This is a new discovery to me, maybe not that new, but in the last 10 years, it's like this, uh, you know, and I would debate, I have a really close liberal friend, and I would debate, you know, he was all like, corporate America's bad, and I'm like, government's bad, and we'd debate. And there was a moment at which I realized, yeah, the incestuous relationship between, you know, they call it corporate cronyism. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have a powerful government, of course, corporations are going to work in their interest to capitalize on that power. And so I think the tech companies are doing now what Big Pharma does, which is like, yeah, regulate us. Yeah. Because we have a whole department who can take care of that. Now, you know, your average mom and pop can't play in the space. Right. And so in the pharma world, that's bad because now little, small diseases that don't affect a lot of people can't be attacked mm-hmm. because it's not worth their market for them to chase it because of the cost of regulation and no one else can chase it because of the regulation. So I'm afraid that this pushing AI could have that same effect. Mm. It's like concentrate the powers with Google and open AI and Amazon. So what needs a reboot then? Is it capitalism or government or both or neither? See, I think this capitalism, and I'm probably not the academic on it, but I think capitalism is just like, I think almost just saying human nature. It's like, mm-hmm. are we going to reboot human? No, I mean, we, we trade, you know, we trade our services or goods. So I, I, don't, I, I think the attack on capitalism is kind of silly. And, and, you know, Marx and Engels trying to do communism, and it's like, well... Yeah, if you ignore human nature, that might work, but that doesn't work because men aren't angels. And so, to your to your point, I think government needs reboot. I think we can't have so much power centralized in one body in a social contract that you can't get out of. So you've either got to make it state or county level so you can move states, mm-hmm. and it makes a big difference now. If I'm and you're seeing that in California and Texas, 
Yeah. Right. But this gravitation toward, you know, bureaucracy growing and government powers growing, I think has really a lot. And I don't think there's a lot of benefit. Like, like, do are we that much? I, I have a brother-in-law who asked the question. I'd be curious. You maybe are old enough, but are you that much better off from government services than you were thirty years ago? I don't think so. Yeah. Can you name a way? Well, in, I, I no. I mean, no. I I re, I'm really angry about all the tax that I pay every year. Yeah. For and, and I don't get do much get, say we, over. Well, <laughs> and we can argue about do we get I'm worse off? Do we get our money's worth? We can argue about yeah. that all day long. Yeah. But. How about versus 20 or 30 years ago? Are we getting more? Because we're spending a heck of a lot more. Right. Right? We're spending far more than we have. Are our roads better? Right. Are our police better? Well, yes. Are, 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 is the FDA, our drug enforcement better? Yeah. I mean. Well, is, I, is all the money going to fund, quote unquote, Ukraine or, or Israel aid or something? Is that really just a way of laundering money out of the taxpayer? <laughs> oh, we know that's true. Pockets, because to <laughs> I your point, believe that. To your point, yeah, no, the roads haven't really improved, and and I would rather education is education better. That, that depends on your perspective, because some people do like the indoctrination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, By the way, yeah, we'll we'll take this offline, but cer yeah. certain states have uh, property tax credits, mm. and if you aren't aware of that you get back like a third of your taxes on your income taxes if you just know, and you can go back two or three years and do it. Mm. Which I just realized that one of my employees mentioned really? it. It's like, wow, that's uh, interesting. You know, and, and another interesting thing, right? How fair is that? It's like some percentage of the population of that state has no idea that they could get thousands of dollars back. Right. And the government just keeps it. Yeah. As, and those who are smarter or informed, and maybe not smarter, but they get informed by someone else, get that. Yeah. Uh, that you don't, doesn't seem right. You don't think 87,000 new IRS agents are going to help people discover <laughs> that? Are they going ahead with that? Is that, is that I, I don't remember, know. I thought there was a pullback, but yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Scary. So crazy. It used to be when I was young, there was a movement toward a flat tax, a postcard tax, mm -hmm. uh, where this is all you need to fill out. And boy, that I well, like what's, that. What's the, I was going to ask you, what would an optimal tax system look like to you if you could redo it any way that you wanted to well i would start by making it local right like whether we pay 20 percent or 40 percent or 60 percent of our income as taxes first of all i think it should be everybody should pay something i should i am not a big a progressive tax system i am not a big fan of it's mm -hmm. like that just if you don't have stake in the game milton friedman talked a lot about this if you don't have skin in the game you know, you don't, you don't participate. It's just not the same. And so even if you only make 10 grand a year, if our taxes, you know, then you have to pay 1500. And if you make a million, you pay 150 grand. And so percentage is progressive, right? Mm -hmm. By definition, but somehow people don't think of percentages. So they're like, well, we have to make the percentage bigger for the bigger tax brackets. But put that aside, I think it should be a flat flat tax, percentage tax, and it should be at a local level so that there's accountability. And if mm. my city or state doesn't work, I'm going to move. And the ones that are productive, you know, you'll have governors. Um, when I was young, there was a guy, Tommy Thompson uh, in Wisconsin, who was, I think, an altruistic guy trying to do his best. 
and he came up with different programs uh, for education, did different, tried different things. And, you know, sometimes that sticks and other states pick it up. But again, they're such a small part of the pie. It's all sitting up there at the feds. Yeah. So is it one way to get everyone to have some skin in the game just to put the tax on purchases and nothing else? Yeah, value-added tax. Is that it's a big thing an in efficient like France way to do it? and France and Canada. Um, so I own some property in Canada, and it's kind of painful because they have similar taxes to us. So they have a federal tax. They have a provincial tax, which is uh, um, like our state income tax. And then they have a VAT tax, value-added tax. They call it uh, GST maybe. I can't remember. HST. There's two different ones. Uh, and it's like 15% of what you purchase. So not only are you paying like similar taxes that we pay here for mm-hmm. incomes, on top of that, they have this 15%. And it applies to like selling your house. Yeah, so 15, interesting. So 15% to the government. Um, interesting. And I, again, all I think that is is feeding the beast. So, but but I guess if if that was all that you had? If that's all that you had. Because you can't get out of, you can get out of like other forms of paying tax. Yeah. But you have to buy like food and you have to buy. And, and in that way, it seems like you would get everyone my, to. Well, my son's, uh, my son's being economists would talk about your disincentivizing spending, which is, you know, from a Keynesian perspective, that's uh, that's a bad thing. I think- I'm an Austrian economist school guy, and I think it's important to save. <laughs> I think a saving's actually not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's these kind of two schools of thought. But um, I, I'm I'm for I I think a uh, because I'm a saver. I don't you know I don't do a lot of frugal or f- frugal uh, <laughs> frivolous spending. Mm-hmm. I don't do a lot of frivolous spending, and so. Yeah, personally, selfishly, it's like, yeah, I want a, I want a sales tax instead of an income tax. Yeah, yeah. So what's your take on a CBDC then? Because to me, the immediate dangers are if you have programmable money, then yeah. the government can say something scary like, you're yeah. not allowed to buy from these categories. Yeah. Maybe that's ammunition or guns, or, or, or it could be like certain books or something. Or if you don't spend um, some money within the next 30 days, you're gonna lose 5% of your value every 30 days and artificially juice yeah. the economy. And probably there's many other concerns. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I'm, I'm totally aligned with that. It's, I think the Federal Reserves of the world, the central banks of the world, are one of the biggest travesties in the world. I mean, it's basically the way for government to steal. So if they can't, you know, if they aren't making enough money, I've always said that, you know, I saw this 10 or 20 years ago. I'm like, the rate we're going, they're going to have to monetize the debt by inflation. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. that's just what it is. Um, and, and the Federal Reserve, you know, you have, I, I talk about this thing, you have, uh, they, they release the minutes for the central board meet, meetings, um, central bank board meetings, like six months or a year off after the meeting. And I went back after the housing crisis mm-hmm. and looked at the minutes from the meetings. You have 12 guys, I think there's 12, right? You have 12 guys sitting around a table setting the discount rate, the Fed rate, right? Uh, which is arguably the most important price mechanism in the world. That, that one number. Are we at 0.25% or are we at 5%? And 
you're listening to them, they had no idea what's going on. They had no idea mm. about, you know, how this housing crisis was going to pay out. And, and so they're just like randomly trained. In, instead of like the market figuring out, signaling pricing, you know, all these signals from, from demand, supplying demand pricing, you have this artificial central planning, you know, like communism, they central plan this rate. And it, I, I think, I think like the CD, CDBC is, um, you know, that, that same vein of a bad path taken even further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm younger than you and I need a little education here. Looking back, it seems like things really went off the rails when we decoupled from gold. Our yeah, value. I agree with that. Is that the major thing in, in our history? Is it just a big event that ruined things? Yeah. Fiat currency is is a rough thing, right? If there's nothing tangible that you can trade it in for and it's just because, like I said, they can print more money and mm-hmm. now your money is worth less. And that's what happened over the last few years, 8% inflation, whatever we right. had. It's like if you were a saver, if you had $100,000 in the bank, uh, 8% inflation means you lost eight grand that year. Yeah. And so it just it destroys, it erodes people's uh, you know, purchasing power and their savings. Um, and I, I definitely think that came from when we decoupled from now, like Bitcoin, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big advocate of Bitcoin. That is a fiat currency. Do you have some? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, but it's not, nobody has the power to inflate it, right? There's a fixed number. There's 21 million Bitcoins. Uh, then you kind of know the rate at which the mining is happening. So you know what percent a year it's going to grow toward that 21 million when that 21 million hits that's it so it's it's hard there's no government there's no power there's nobody on earth that can you know effectively manipulate that price um or take away my savings Mm -hmm. and i love the idea idea of the decentralization you know I'll, i'll tell the story this is uh uh venezuela had um you know when chavez came in and everything went to heck and he nationalized the oil companies. And, you know, they were one of the resource richest countries on the planet. Uh, and he's like, we're going to be socialists. Yeah. Well, that didn't go so well. I mean, people were literally starving to death. And I had a developer uh, that I was working with and he, he was telling me how bad it was. Um, and he sent me pictures of him before and after, like just two years ago and then current. And he was like, he, he was like, uh, I can't, the worry he was starving. I mean, he had lost like 50 pounds. He was skin and bones. And it was like, mm. he was just suffering. And this is getting to the point that I wanted to help support him. And so typically how I would do that is you would wire money, right? Um, I mean, maybe PayPal, now has some of the fintechs have, have helped that but wiring to another country is you know it's a hassle to set up the wire you got to get all the routing codes and the swift codes and got to get everything right and there's a chance you get something on the form wrong and it takes you know at least 24 hours in the u.s it's same day but overseas you know another country it's 24 hours and um, maybe 48 and it costs you 20 or 30 bucks 
So, you know, sending this guy a few hundred bucks is, was everything in the a difference. I did that with um, digital currency mm. in seconds for like 20 cents. Yeah. I mean, talk about that, you know, productivity enhancement. That's, uh, That's a big deal. And, and cutting all of these inefficient bureaucracies out of yeah. the equation. Um, and he, and he, he, you know, if he, if he, if I had wired him money, he gets that out in his, uh, currency, which was had having huge inflation. So yeah. he, every day he was losing money, right. but with digital currency, it is what it is it, wherever. And the governments hate that because they're no longer in control. Right. You know, there's that meme that, uh, people are like, well, what gives the dollar any value then? And then they show a fleet in the Pacific and it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yeah. that's, it's true. That's it, right? Yeah, it's our military <laughs> might. Yeah, Crazy. yeah. But we're uh, losing our state. We're losing our footing. Is the kind of the world exchange? You know, I think I saw that we we just surpassed OPEC, surpassed fifty percent of petroleum trade was in non-U.S. denomination. Mm. It's the first time in like forever. That's a big deal, right? Because what's holding us up is our you know central currency, our we're the currency of choice of the world. That basically is our power. And it Putin's point in his interview was because, you know, the Biden administration or the government chose to use that as a way to, you know, with sanctions or whatever, to try to lessen Russia's power. It's actually going to have the opposite effect because and lessen they, our they power. They bind together in, you know, the BRIC countries, Brazil, Brazil right. Russia, India, China. Do you agree with together. that? Uh, yeah. No, there, there's no doubt. That's happened. There's no doubt that's happened. You, so it seems like a major strategic blunder. It does, although it might have been unavoidable. I mean, everybody resents the guy who's winning the game, right? And they and typically you uh, you you uh, gang up on the guy who's winning. And so, kind of regardless, since uh, Breton Woods, uh, Nixon's, whenever that was, '60s, I don't remember. Um, people have kind of hated us. They they had to still do it, right? Because where else were you going to put your money? What yeah, were you going to do? Um, but now there's getting to be viable alternatives, I think. Although, I mean, I don't know. I'm not putting my money in China. I'm not putting yeah. my money in Russia. Right. I mean, we're still kind of it. Yeah. We're still. You are until you aren't, I guess. Yeah. 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 Well, so let me get your take on this. I was playing around on YouTube and I typed into the search box um, some AI-related things. And I noticed a lot of people seem to be searching for, does AI trading work? And I know you have a little experience <laughs> <I do>. here. <laughs> What's your take on that? Well, I have experience from about four or five years ago uh, when convolutional nets, which are, so uh, for the audience who have generative, what we talk about these days is generative models, chat GPT and so forth, mid-journey, which generate things, they predict things. Um, it used to be convolutional nets and recurrent uh, nets. And my son and I started... Um, kind of a moonshot project to do AI trading. And our goal was to get uh, predictive power over 50%, anything over 50% uh, an hour or two ahead, right, in stocks. Because that's everything. Yeah. And so yeah. what we did is we created uh, models that you'd feed in, um, you know, the prior 24 hours, I don't even remember what it was, uh, data, um, and have it predict. And then we'd, we'd, so we'd train models and we do it. And we were never able to get there. But what we did get to was, it was like, I'd have to check with my son, but 52% of the time we could 
predict uh, accurately the next like two seconds, second or two, hmm. right? A um, little more than half. Yeah, no. Is that and, an arbitrage? That is, that's a win <laughs> if you, so the friction, you know, the uh, um, trade costs, execution costs, make it such that the only way to win from that is be a high frequency trader, which means you have like co-location data center in Jersey city. Mm. Um, so you can close to the, you know, action. yeah, you, you have three millisecond latency and the you, physical location actually matters. It matters. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. That's a big, that's a big deal. Yeah. Huh. Um, and so we, we didn't end up pursuing it. So but, is somebody uh, out there making it work doing it? Does AI trading work for somebody? I don't know. I don't know if I could say. Yeah. I mean, I, w I would think yes. I would think yes. I've been trading since I was a teenager and I actually day traded for a long time. And successfully? Um, it's not for everyone. No. So it's successful because it was in a, bear, in a bull market. So it's like, <laughs> okay. I'm riding the wave in. It's like nothing I'm doing. It's just the wave's going. Uh, in, in the end, no, I don't think uh, it's, uh, you know, without some inside knowledge, I don't think. But what was interesting about that is you could see, so there's something called level two quotes, um, and which is like what you actually see the order book of what's, you know, all the bids and all the asks. So it's just not a single number. It's like someone, you know, Google's 102 to buy and 103 to sell or 102 and 20 cents. You see everybody stacking up and you would see, I mean, really skeevy. You would, people would put false bids. Mm. Like here's a big block at, the, oh, it's going to move up. But it wasn't a real bid. And they'll, pull, they'll mm. put it and pull it to move the price. And there's, uh, I don't know if you trade much, but there's uh, limit orders and stop orders. So for a stop order, for example, it's like Google's trading at $100. Um, I have a standing order that at $90, I sell, right? So because if it crashes to 50 and I'm not watching, right. I want to be out. Um, and what happens is these traders... They'll run the price down to take that. They'll see that because it's a standing order. It's on the book. And they'll run the price down to take that out and then go back up. I see. I mean, it's there. there's a lot of dirtiness there. Well, of dirtiness. speaking of that, I mean, I heard the other day how George Soros made his fortune. Have you ever heard about this? Maybe. Remind me. Well, he basically, it was basically by spreading misinformation you know he said i don't know if it was the british pound or what it was but he oh, bet yeah. against it he shorted it massively and then went around and said hey it's not looking so good yeah you know and basically made it happen yeah and then sold yeah and he's got a book about it the alchemy of finance yeah and that's how he made his money funny there's a i can't remember if it was a rothschild there's a guy in there was a guy in england or london and during the Napoleonic, Napoleonic Wars, um, there was like some battle happening and he is trying to get the story right. He has a messenger. Anyway, like all of the traders are kind of watching him and he basically sent a false signal. Like 
like his messengers told him that Britain had lost or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And that was false. So everybody did this and he did the opposite and made a hundred million dollars or something. Yeah. And it's like, boy, I don't know if that's the way you want to be known for making your money. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Human nature. Morals. <laughs> Human nature. Yeah. Fallen man. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Any other news you've been seeing? Um, probably. Do you have something good? <laughs> you know, so yeah, Sora is, was pretty impressive to me. Yeah. Um, I got we, something to pick your brain about. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I noticed while I was searching, you know, for AI stuff on YouTube, another big search, and I think we'll have something to say about this, was does AI believe in God? And I think the That's question behind that is probably really more like uh, given people's idea that AI is smart and maybe a little more neutral than like a person that you asked, do you believe in God? They probably are wondering, they want its opinion, so to speak, is my guess, rather than is the thing conscious and does it believe in a deity? Right. You know, they're looking for it to inform them on the possibility, maybe. Interesting. What's your take on, does, for someone who's searching, does AI believe in God? Yeah, boy, I don't think AI believes in God, probably, but should it be answering that question for people? Yeah. I would say given, given that it's trained on a lot of garbage. <laughs> right. That, right. So that's a factor. For, I mean, it's, it's not going to talk as much about uh, uh, Aristotle or St. Thomas as it is, you know, comments from Quora or Reddit. Yeah. So right. I think that's problematic. Yeah. And, you know, somebody builds an AI right? The AI didn't just self-manifest. The AI isn't mm-hmm. God itself, although some Selective people... Selective editorializing, like we're saying. Yeah, so even the data that it gets trained on is going to affect, obviously, but and people make that decision, what to train it on, and then people are going to tell it, here's how to act, here's mm-hmm. how to answer. Mm-hmm. And so all of that's a big... That's a big part of it. It's a big deal. Um, and but it, it matters which, which AI you talk with. That's right. Right. And we know that. That's what we're doing. Yes. So we built objective reality AI to um, be able to handle this sort of a question um, in a way that I think people would find valuable and useful and uh, kind of decouple it from maybe the trendy thinking and just sort of get right at the truth, empirical truth, you know, the objective statements. Um, Yeah. Yeah, objective truth. That's that's pretty important. Objective reality. The um, you know the the big the big players have giant alignment teams, and their alignment is actually, in my view, trying to inject more relative truth. It's like you know your your own your own truth is what matters, and the way they do that is they take this bad model already, which probably has, you know, if you think about it, a lot of people think, you know, before 10 years ago and back, everything we thought was bad, right? Right. And so only today. So, and a lot of the stuff it's trained on was older than the last five or 10 years. And so they have to combat that. So they have a team that reviews responses and goes in and punishes the model, um, during training for giving answers that might be truth, <laughs> right? Yeah. 
And so that's why you get sermonizing about be careful to respect vegetarians when you make your meatloaf, right? It's yeah. Like, I don't want sermonizing when I'm asking my question how to bake my meatloaf, right? Right. I mean, that's just so, it, it's offensive to me. It, yeah. It really is offensive to me. Yeah. It's like, I don't want this thing. You know, generally, I don't want people telling me unless I'm soliciting. Yeah. Um, and on but, a question like this, you're going to hear a lot of, well, here, the, the, the mainstream AI options are going to say um, something, you, you mentioned relativism, like, uh, well, so-and-so thinks differently. And, and uh, informed people can disagree here. Mm -hmm. And it will do everything it can to obfuscate, mm -hmm. um, you know, quote-unquote, objective things that are objective. For instance, you know, an apple is going to fall at a certain rate due to gravity. That's just the way that objects fall. Mm -hmm. And that's it has been that way and it's gonna be that way. Like that's something that happens. Now, somebody might feel like an apple falls differently, you know, <laughs> but that, that has nothing to my, do with. My wife and I go through this all the time. She's like, you know, it's hot. I'm like, no, it's 70 degrees. It's like, you know, well, yesterday you thought 70. And, and this this relative feeling, you know, humans are just terrible at that. We're just terrible. Yeah. You, ever, you ever do the experiment when you put your, um, you you take like, I can't remember how it goes, but you you take ice water and then lukewarm water and you keep your hand in one and you put it, uh, it's crazy, it's super hot. or And then you do the opposite and this feels cold. No. It's, just a, rel it's a relative thing. Yeah. You know, and it's, we, we aren't that good at, we aren't that good at objectivity. Yeah. Which is why we have thermostats, right? We have, right. it's like, how can you, you know, and it's fine. You can say, I feel cold and I want to change it, but you yeah. can't say it is cold. Yes. Right. Perception we, we is know. not always reality. Right. And that's right. why it's important to have a tool at your disposal right. that can help you just get to the truth of the matter. Right. Without any uh, framing. Yeah. 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 That's so our, objective reality. Dot that, AI. Yeah, nice plug. Nice yeah. plug. Hey, I was going to bring up, I don't know if you saw Hinton, uh, Jeffrey Hinton. He is uh, one of the godfathers of AI. Um, University of Toronto, retired now, I think. But he, you know, back in the 80s, when I was first in my first neural net, he was the big proponent of uh, neural networks. And he lived through the nuclear winter in AI, which lasted like 20 or 30 years, um, and just kept championing the cause on. And now, you know, he's proven right that this is this is the technique to get. Uh, so he's interesting to listen to. But he was talking about 200,000 people a year die in the United States due to medical errors. Hmm. 200,000. I didn't realize it was that high. Interesting. And he's talking about AI is going to eliminate that. Yeah. Right? And uh, I think we talked about the Google Amy model. Um, I brought that up a couple yeah. episodes ago. Is that because humans are making the errors and it's a, just a matter of eliminating the human judgment? Is that where that, those errors come well, from? And not just errors, but also sometimes you have to you have to make your best guess on imperfect data. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know if you can call it an I mean it is an error in the end, but it's not like a blank mistake. It's like they couldn't know. Right? It's like nobody so think about this. Um if you have a a doctor, you go to your family doctor and he's seen, you know, five hundred patients, a thousand patients in his last ten years. And you go to a guy who has seen two million patients. And you have some strange kind of rare, maybe skin rash. Who's going to know better? I mean, that's yeah. pretty easy, right? It's like 
the guy who's seen two millions, and that's what AI is. It's going to have it sees millions of them. So there's no question that diagnosis and uh, you know reading, reading imagery, CAT scans and X-rays and MRIs. I mean, it's already better. It's already better. So the only question is, how does that play out, and how will people accept it? Yeah, yeah, because there's a trade-off. It's better for humanity on the one hand. More people live, but it's but it's worse for society on the other hand, like the economy, maybe, or maybe not maybe. the economy. But maybe if it. less people certainly will have those types of jobs, if it's good for those sorts of jobs to go away, in a sense. This is the this is the big question, right? I mean, I, I you know, it's abundance versus dystopia, and I I don't know. I still don't know where I fall after ten years of thinking about it. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that occurs to me. And something that we haven't talked about too much on the podcast yet is AI and manipulation. And it, we were talking about CBDCs and programmable money. And if you can control the programming of the digital money, then you can make things happen you know, a certain way. If you can control the AI or if the AI becomes able to control its own self and it's possible to manipulate you in a way that you could, is similar, like analogous to how a CBDC might be used to manipulate people. You could have the AI, you know, all the doctors go away and the AI is diagnosing everybody, but it decides a certain 10, population. 10 of them need to kill. Yeah. yeah, and it it legitimately, it shows you stuff that looks legit, like here's your diagnosis, I'm sorry, you're, you're dying, yeah. you, sh you know, and it becomes more of an assisted um, murder or something, yeah. you know. Absolutely. I, that, that is an interesting, scary possibility too with something like that absolutely possible which is why i think you need to get control uh, so what i say about government's the same thing about technology you need to get control out of the hands of just a couple few right yeah you need you need it's like i need a second opinion and you know well uh, if the market competes you'll have ai that's like you know i always talk about underwriter labs ul listed right? <laughs> UL listed is not a government organization, but if your toaster has a UL listed sticker on there, you put a lot of trust that that's not going to set my house on fire, mm -hmm. right? And that's an example of the free market solving a problem. A lot of things used to burn down, you know, heating yeah. elements would go awry. And so Underwriters Lab started and it solves a need. People had a need. I need trust. Consumer Reports is that way. You know, there's a lot of ways that non-government, you can have trust or certification without the government involvement. And maybe mm -hmm. you have AIs that are certified, you know, to not kill you, <laughs> to diagnose yeah. you right. I don't, That's right? interesting. Maybe, do you see a future then where like blockchain technology, where there's a ledger that's publicly accessible, sort of merges with that sort of AI so that you can have some sort of assurance. Is that even possible? Yeah, I mean, anything's possible, right? Wow, we're giving out free business ideas Yeah, here. here's, here's new ideas for people. Yeah, I'm sure people are working on that. Um, I'm not sure how they would merge. You know, the one thing about it is the blockchain allows like microtransactions, which is kind of a big thing, mm -hmm. right? Because we're, uh, you know, we're getting to the point like in generative models, like if you get down to the infrastructure, you're pricing things in a per token cost. And typically now they're pri priced in like per thousand tokens. And the rate is like point 
0.000002 cents mm-hmm. per thousand tokens. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't really do a credit card transaction on that because the, the processing fees, you know, Visa and MasterCard charges 30 cents plus 2%. And that 30 cents is like, you know, four orders of magnitude bigger than the actual transaction. So you can't do it. Right. But blockchain, you know, Ethereum, some of this is allowing that type of thing to happen mm-hmm. um, and getting it away from these quote unquote trusted third parties. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a positive. Yeah. Trustless. It's an interesting. Trustless. Yeah. 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 I, I, there was a congressional hearing talking about um, Bitcoin and they were debating, you know, hey, it's used for crime syndicates and you know, yeah. ransomware and so forth. And uh, it is, but it's also used as a value store for a lot of people. And the dollar is still the number one criminal activity currency in the world yeah that's the same exact conversation of like guns and stuff like if you know guns are used for bad they're also used for protection but if you get rid of them someone is going to plow a car into a group of people or use a knife or like this comes back to like humans are humans that's right (laughs) whatever they're gonna do at their disposal you make a gun-free zone it just makes it easier for the guy with the gun to go do things yeah yeah and same it's the same with bitcoin and yeah yeah. This is a really fascinating conversation. Do you follow Bindu? Ready? She's real mm. into AI. Let's see. Yeah, I think I, Let's I see. think I do. Abacus AI. I don't know. But she put this out, this tweet. It says, ChatGPT understands what's going on with our society more than anyone else. The Illuminati run the world while the population is distracted. So here's, <laughs> here's the thing. Uh, I said, are there other ways you might keep people distracted? She's talking about how society gets distracted. And this just nails where we're at. This is a chat GPT answer. So certainly keeping a large population distracted requires a diverse and dynamic approach. It loves the word diverse. Throws it in everywhere. Here are additional ways to keep people occupied and diverted from my console consolidation of power. The AIs cultivate a culture of consumerism, promote busy work, busy work, encourage tribalism, incentivize petty competition, spread disinformation, focus on short-term rewards, promote addiction, overwhelm with choice, normalize surveillance, control and sensationalize the media. <laughs> and if any of that isn't what's going on right now. Yeah, that's the screw tape letters right there. That is that is exactly what's happening. Wow. Which is why we need to, your, your morning routine, we need to break out and have thought time. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's super important. I feel like when you have the AI like <laughs> brainstorm something like this and hold up the mirror, of like reality to yeah. you that's really valuable because yeah. you know presumably things could happen all kinds of ways but if you ask the AI like how would you do it and then it turns out to be what's happening what's happening yeah then you're like yeah. oh crap i gotta yeah. rethink some stuff yeah no no doubt it's uh it's a scary time yeah i mean it's although it's also a very optimistic time i think in some ways if you can if you can convince people or at least yourself that you need to balance it that you need to use it in constructive ways and figuring out, I don't know how you do that. Like I said, I struggle with the adversity and overcoming and uh, creating adversity thing. Um, but it feels there might feels like there's a middle way, mm-hmm. you know, quote Buddhism. Um, I think there's probably a middle way in using it. I don't think you have to go back to the farm. I don't think you have to live on a deserted Island, but 
there's probably a middle middle way. You know, you always hear the phrase mon, mind, body, spirit, mm-hmm. right? This kind of tripartite. You, it feels like you should, I was telling my son, be sure you work on, you know, he's, uh, he's in law school and hitting it really hard. And, and um, it's like, I know, be sure you're working on that body. You know, you need physical, you need to do some physical things. Yeah. And so maybe that's what that balance is. Because even with Apple Vision Pro, MetaQuest Pro, you know, any other potential headset, you can't just live in there mentally. Like you can't get out of your body and just be in that virtual realm. Mm -hmm. And um, even though they're they're talking about doing- Tell them they hooked the feeding tube up. Yeah, but you you still can't escape out of your body, right, right? And so, but effectively, if it feels like it, like I said, I think effectively it feels. Uh, you know, even video games are effective enough for people to spend five, ten hours a day in them. Yeah. Well, this is okay. This is really interesting. So we talked about my new morning routine and you know bedtime routine. And you can tell me you're p- playing uh, video games for half of it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that lasted two days, um, but. Somebody else brought this up on on X and I was like, that is a really great point. And they're like, everyone else is so distracted with the current thing, you know, something like Vision Pro, virtual stuff, just entertainment in general. It is actually really easy to get ahead of everybody else, you know, intellectually, mentally, by just reading a little bit every yeah. day. And yeah. it's never been easier, honestly. That's funny. It's, it's hard. It's yeah, hard sure. because you. It's it, the easy thing is to like you know watch a movie instead of reading because that's mental right. work. But it's never been easier. That's funny. in history to to be a little intellectual superiority there to advance basically. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, interesting. Hey, speaking of the body, I was going to ask how keto's going for you. Oh, it's uh, it's good. Um, so for Valentine's, I actually cooked uh chilean sea bass for my wife nice. that was an experiment wow you know i went to the butcher and i saw they had some the first time i went in and i was like hey i'm a i'm a vegetarian this guy loved it because he was getting to show he's all excited it was like the tour the meat <laughs> tour and we got to the sea bass and he was like this isn't for you if you're just beginning you know this you got to cook this just right plus it's kind of expensive it's just a waste of money for you at this point now I don't know. I'm like a month and a half later and I feel like I'm really getting hanged. So I was like, I'm going to try it. And, uh, it went good. It was, it was, it was kind of fun. I'm having fun, like, uh, checking everything out. Mm-hmm. I'm having a little trouble on the keto feeling full, which I know is not the experience that you have had. Hmm. I'm using a thing called carb manager to track everything. And sometimes I'll be amazed at like, I've gone over on the fat or I'm usually pretty under on the carbs, but the fat and the protein, um, and sometimes the calories, I'm a little bit over. And I feel like it's not the same as when I used to do something like uh, count calories. Because if you go over, if you have a calorie budget for the week and you mm-hmm. go over a bit on one day, you can like go under the next day and it sort of evens out. But I don't think that's the way that it really happens, is it, with keto? Well, you know, so uh, I grew up, I wrestled for 10 years and managed weight and kind of paid attention to that whole calorie. So my, the whole calorie in, calorie out thing was... Uh, something ingrained in me. But I'll tell you, with keto, I don't pay any attention to the amounts. You don't? No. Uh, and I'm never... But it's like moderate protein, right? So if you go over on the protein, you actually... A lot of people are doing it to lose weight. You could actually like gain more weight then, right? Or do you not even... Do I you just? Yeah, I don't really gain... I, you, I, can, I can just... I can eat 
until I'm just over full, you know, yeah. I don't do that. I try and you actually that. stay in ketosis. You're I sure. think so. Yeah. I don't even measure it anymore. I did yeah. buy, um, I, I got an online speaking of abundance, you know, the whole, uh, virtual doctors thing uh-huh. is a pretty impressive thing. So I, I went to a virtual doctor and got the, uh, the Libra lifestyle blood sugar mm. or that's a continuous glucose monitor. Mm. I don't know if you've seen that, but no. yeah. So you know how people prick their fingers and take their blood sugar for diabetes. So they now have, it's about the size of a quarter. Boom. It injects into you and sticks on with the sticker and you wear it for a month and it's 24 hours a day of watching your blood sugar. Hmm. So you can know exactly what's happening. And I did that um, because I was pre-diabetic and I um, uh, had hypoglycemia. And so I, I did that to track. And you can see what's happening. And I'll, I'll tell you, if you, I, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe you just can't, you can't store fat. You can't, you can't, hmm. you can't take protein or fat and turn it into fat. Your body doesn't have the mechanism. Does to do it that. have glucose in it? And, you know, if you go over that, your body is going to be then tempted to use though? No, there's no glucose in it. No. That's the thing. There's zero glucose in, in beef and, you know, fat. Interesting. Milk there is. Milk has su- uh, fruit, uh, lactose. Yeah. That's a yeah. sugar. And that's carbs. If you look at a milk label, you'll see carbs. If you look at heavy cream, yeah. like I eat, <laughs> I actually measured it the other day. It's like, I wonder how much. I I start my day with a half a cup of heavy cream. Uh. A half a cup. And if you look at the label of cream, that's like 300% of your saturated fat right there in the morning. Interesting. I'm like, I'm, I'm blown past the USRDA by yeah. 300%. And I believe, and then I'm, I'm not really hungry by noon or one. I don't have breakfast. Huh. I, I drink tea with heavy cream. Right. And I think that cream's down there digesting for a long time yeah. and I'm not hungry. Huh. Uh, I eat around noon just because then I don't want to eat too late at night. Um, and I can eat as much steak or eggs okay. or I Well, want. I wonder why the app uh, is watching yeah. those things so often just to yeah. sell the app, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't pay any attention. And then, uh, you know, and then the same thing at night. Um, huh. I do have one downfall in that I eat popcorn. Uh, oh, do and you? I, and that is probably, I, I swear it off all carbs. the time and I always, uh, yeah, that, that is carbs. I don't know if that blows my number or not. So you're a Cheeto. You cheat with I'm a Cheeto Keto. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you, I, I do believe I'm, a, it's about time for me to go in for another uh, calcium scan mm. for my heart, heart disease, mm-hmm. which theoretically is declining. So yeah. that's great, which is a hundred percent opposite of, I was talking to a colleague at work and, um, they they got diagnosed and they went on the statins and they have all you know they have all the troubles and it's not it's slowing down a little bit and it's like yeah well, let me tell you what I did and it sounds insane yeah to people it does you know I'm just drinking fat yeah you make pudding from heavy cream <laughs> yeah and eat pudding <laughs> hey <laughs> I mean that's a good tip yeah yeah and, then, and you know there's something to that what as I've been explaining this to people. Um, especially as somebody who was a vegetarian for like 30 years. That's wild. People that know me are like, this is a bombshell. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, but they they just don't get it really. Yeah. And you're like, no, I had this benefit and this benefit and this. And And do you you see, I mean, do you feel benefits? I do. Um, I didn't do it for weight, obviously, but I've had the headaches when we talked about this. You know, my migraines, gone. Really? Gone. Yeah. Um, I couldn't (laughs) couldn't get off of, um, I I still have heartburn because I drink 
so much coffee every day and i don't want to give that up right now so dude stop later in the day i did try though i tried to get off of, no <laughs> no okay. yeah you and got the stuff later i in the day. came back yeah so um not ready to to ax that yet but um energy focus sleep all improved and massively so and like sometimes i'll have some fish or um you know you know steak or something and like i can tell i i used to get this crash around 2 p.m before i got on the keto and like almost religiously like i was going to crash it didn't feel good didn't matter how much coffee i had and i don't have that <laughs> in fact i feel really energized but it is crazy even though i didn't do it for weight like i'll look in the mirror in the morning and it's like if i went down here and started like doing some crunch and stuff i would have a six pack yeah. and i i couldn't even is that funny not since college and you don't feel like have been a, a, and you don't feel like you're depriving yourself right um, or do you? I, I, a bit because like I said, the app was like saying you're at your fat oh, limit, yeah. you're at your protein limit. Yeah. No, eat all you want. I'm going to, I'm going to give that a try. All your beef, yeah. all your chicken, all your, yeah, all your fat. Yeah. And it's actually hard. You, you need a lot of fat. It's kind of hard to get enough fat. Like I have seen some keto people who go to the butcher and they buy a block of the fat that they throw away. And they fry that and I don't, I'm not that, I won't eat pure fat. But yeah. like I said, I'll eat pure cream. Uh -huh. I'll eat a ton of butter. So like I throw a quarter stick or third of a stick of butter on my popcorn. I mean, yeah. just slathered with butter. Yeah. And it seems so, you know, contrary to what we believe about, you know, because we've all done it. We've all, we've all washed pans that had fat on it. And you can see it code and it's hard to get off. And you, you just picture it in your blood vessels. Yeah. You picture that right. that's what's happening. And that's what they, I believe, simplistically thought for yeah. 30 years. And it's not, that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And it's been good. But I, I, this brings up something I really want to get your opinion on. And so as a former vegetarian, I'm curious on your view as somebody who hasn't been a vegetarian, because I was all about it. I was all about it. The marketing behind vegetarian meat. You know, I know that there were um, some meat industry and dairy industry bodies that, that I think filed some lawsuits on the way that fake meat was being marketed because even the term fake meat, why are you calling it meat? meat? If it's its own right. thing, like call it its own thing, but yeah. there's value Vegetable in calling protein. it meat. Yeah. Yeah. There's value in referring to the real thing. Otherwise they wouldn't do it. People want meat. Yeah. Well, yeah. Give me your take on, on the way that that's marketed. I, you know, I'm not, I've watched, you know, this is a thing. I'm a big advocate of capitalism, but I also understand how it works. And, you know, they're going to manipulate you, right? For, and keto, it's, this happens on this side too. Now, I mean, it's, it's a, you're going to try to sell people on your idea. And, yeah, I mean, false advertising. I don't know much about vegetarianism and how much of that is done, mm -hmm. but it's definitely done in food products. Like they'll, here, here's something. So when, before I was keto and I was having migraines, you know, and it's always weird for me to say that because it feels like migraines are a woman thing. Um, you know, not to be sexist, but just, I never heard that from guys and maybe guys hide it or they don't get them as much. I don't know, but I got them and uh, I had like prescribed medicine for it and it was two or three times a week um and i slowly was finding the triggers for that and like monosodium glutamate which is a soy derivative and you know and what they did over the years you know this msg be kind of became known 
they changed the name on the labels. Mm. It's like whey extract or something. I yeah. don't know. I'm probably not right there, but they had, they have different names. And so you had to educate yourself on these different names for the same ingredient. So that's yeah. kind of false. Right. Uh, and that was their effort to try and yeah. get past people. Well, a big part of that is that vegetarian meat is so processed. Like meat <laughs> is just, you know, you, you can... Some meat is processed, but you can get meat and it's just like very natural because it's just meat. But the vegetarian meat is so processed. So it is vegetarian, but just because it's vegetarian doesn't mean it's healthy. Yeah. And a lot of people yeah. don't think about that. Yeah. The new one I'm looking at is uh, uh, seed oils. Mm. So my son said, hey, dad, you better look into seed oils. See things. And so I've started looking at them and I had a lot of time, but I did see some mortality charts and- it was a graph like this. The the, the number one correlation with uh, mortality was uh, like diabetes. Number two was seed oils. Mm. Number three was sugar. Mm -hmm. And then it, you know, carbs would be sugar. And it went down from there. But it, I'm going to have to look a little deeper and see if there's any studies supporting the problems. You know, they basically say if you eat, you know, you should have uh, olive oil and things like that instead of. Sun, sunflower oil, you know, um, corn oil, all these, all these are made from seeds and apparently that's bad for us. I don't know. Hmm. I can't, I, I won't weigh in on it yet, but I'm looking, that's something I'm looking at. Yeah. But it, it fits with my migraine things. So it was soy, a soy a seed? Uh, that's a good question. I'm <laughs> not like sure. It's like a bean, isn't it? I'm it's not sure. like a pea pod bean thing. Maybe, but I feel like there oh, is. Oh, yeah, edamame. You ever have edamame? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's soy, right? I, I, I honestly, I'm not sure. But but there is a bit of a correlation from what I understand from soy and estrogen, right? Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. I don't know much about it. That would be different, like, like it, from whey protein. Like it creates protein. it? Or? I, there's some correlation there. Yeah. 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 Maybe that's our decreasing testosterone levels. Yeah, what is that about? Is it they like say, they say it's plastic, cell phone radiation, plastic, yeah, <laughs> soy. They, uh, although I, uh, I can't remember what it was, but I came across a new theory that I it, it resonated with me. I'm like, yeah, that's actually probably it. Um, but yeah, I think they say it's microplastics and BPA is coming out of plastic bottles and things. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I agree with that, but it'd be interesting. Oh, maybe it was fluoride. You know, now I'm one of these conspiracy guys. I'm not, you know, I'm not an anti-fluoride guy. It may or may not be true. I don't know. But I think fluoride was a precursor. No, it wasn't fluoride. There's something that's a precursor to making testosterone, and our consumption of that has dramatically decreased. Mm. And and it correlates pretty well with the amount of testosterone dropping. Yeah. I mean, there's something. You know, it's that's statistically yeah. we like, know we know it's happening. Yeah, and that's not good for us either. I saw an interesting stat this week. Um, currently, between between like people in their thirties who have children is maybe twenty percent, and if you went back thirty or forty years or fifty years, I don't remember how long it was like fifty percent. Mm -hmm. I mean, a dramatic drop in childless, dramatic drop in childlessness, increase in childlessness. Yeah. It's, uh, that's going to be problematic. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking about this in terms of pets, but, you know, it, it seems like there's so many different facets of modern life that are trending us towards the 
growth, depopulation. And I can't determine how much of that is purposeful at some level by society's planners, we'll say, and how much of that is just a matter of where we're at, you know, on the technological timeline yeah. and various we things. Don't, we don't need him to hoe the field anymore. Right. But think about this. You see these trends um, like the family unit is looked down upon, the traditional family unit these days. Um, you know, various waves of feminism have affected society. Uh, people, uh, younger people tend to call themselves, uh, a lot of them like a pet mom or pet dad instead of having an actual kid. For a baby. Right. Uh, as a replacement, you know, women wait, a lot of women wait to have kids until they're much older. So you have all just all these different things. Now, with the Vision Pro or something like this, do you envision people having like virtual children kids <laughs> that are only on when the thing you don't have to worry Pro about probably not and my my reason for saying that is you don't have video game children <laughs> like there's no like precursor like there's no demand for that where people have wanted it because we could make video games of having babies like those remember it was a thing with those electronic little pets yeah she had to take care of but that's you the thing see, people but do you but you don't see with babies for some reason but i wonder if we will you know maybe you, like if you could trick people with that maternal or paternal instinct maybe if you could trick them and it was we're about to have our first grandchild and i've been asking other grandparents i'm like okay so when you're a parent and you have a baby you can't believe how much you love that baby and it's just like some genetic trick that you just it's crazy and then you, and they're so beautiful and you look at other babies and then yeah right <laughs> so there's this yeah. i'm like How's it work with grandchildren? Do you feel, are they just, are feeling, eh? and they're like, no, you feel the same. It's like, I wonder, that's mm. weird. That's the yeah. multi-generational thing. But my son has this interesting theory that, you know, pornography, that basically cute animal videos on YouTube or TikTok or wherever are basically pornography for women. Hmm. Like they have this instinct to nurture and hmm. find cute and adore and love. And we have this instinct to reproduce Men have this instinct group. So pornography exploded for men. And now this is, and it's replacing their need. It's like they get their satisfaction by looking at the cute dog or having their own dogs. Uh, and I'm like, that's an interesting theory. I could see that. Yeah. But see where every podcast that we have and every subject basically boils down to the substitutionary technology and the reality-based yeah. experience. True. True. And whether it's the fake meat, that's like a simulation of, you know, mm -hmm. or something inside of Vision Pro, um, it just affects, you know, we're just coming back to, yeah, I'll, I'll get back to my morning routine and stuff. Like, and I told you in the last podcast, I think I used to have this recency bias and anything from, you know, 20 years ago, five minutes ago, you know, or centuries ago, it seemed like yeah, I just didn't I, want to touch it. I had the same thing, yeah. Yeah, but now, as I've been exploring, and this has been a, a, over the last several years, older thinkers and older ideas and concepts, it turns out some ideas are just like eternal Time, ideas. Timeless. They really and, are. And they had infinite time to tool on it. Right. You know, those, the Greeks basically just laid around all day staring at the stars and, yeah. think, and thinking. Yeah. Right, that's the impression I get. I don't but know But it's if that's interesting, true. though. I would have thought as somebody who grew up playing video games and different things and wanting to be entertained all the time into distraction, distracted into oblivion, I would have thought that 
going through these old books and concepts would have been so boring and it's exactly yeah. the opposite. And we've been sold this idea yeah. that you have to have the latest technology and the best effects in movies. And, but all of that is just, a, the new ideas aren't better than the old ideas because the old ideas were there first. They were the originals well, and, and everything references and repackaged. Back. Of the yeah, ideas, it's just a right? remix. Yeah. And to, so it's really fun to go back and explore. I'm, I'm just trying to get across to people. It's actually it is. enjoyable to it, go back into history it and is. visit. Find something you're interested in, dive in. Yeah. You, you ever read Joseph Campbell? Nope. Um, Joseph Campbell's interesting guy. He uh, talks a lot about stories and mythology. And, um, you know, he basically boils like all of literature down to maybe six archetypes, right? It's like every story comes from, so, you know, Star Wars, it comes back to this story 2,000 years ago. And and yeah. uh, look into Joseph Campbell. I think you'd appreciate it because some, like, ideas, are they're, they're timeless. Yeah. And there are, comes back to your point, can AI, you know, is there anything new? Is it just repackaged? Yeah, or just decorated differently. It's the same idea. The essence yeah. is there. It always was there. And now it's just re- and, and And there's something to that. You know, um, kind of, but kind of not. Like, there's this, there's this notion in Christianity, in particular, that you need to be relevant to a certain group of people or generation. And this is the big struggle of, I think, Christianity today. Because, <laughs> yeah, do yeah. you don't, adapt don't to society? Get me started. <laughs> yeah, right. We saw this with the "He gets us" ad at the Super Bowl. Yeah, um, and yeah. So, so I, I got to talk about that. So. Um, Yesterday, the so I'm Catholic. The uh, bishop of um, like Austin, Texas area, um, put a moratorium on the Latin Mass. So, for listeners, the Latin Mass is a small section of the Catholic Church that tr that celebrates the Mass, the service, the same that they've done it for 1,500 years. But sometime in the 60s, there was, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theory around this, but there were some questionable people in the church who pushed to change that. They called it Vatican II, was a, a conference, um, and they changed the mass, and they hacked out. And their point, to your point, this is what spurred the thought, uh, was to make it relevant to the modern man, right? And within 10, 20 years, it just had destroyed everything. It's like, you know, a good chunk of, of Catholics did not, that quickly did not believe in God even. You know, it was like, it's just like overnight. And um, so they're, you know, same thing. They're trying to stay, they tried to stay relevant to modern man. And I think that's a mistake because truth doesn't change, right? There's, there's objective truth out there and you got to stick with it. Even, you know, times change, people, you know, events change. Well, I always think of, you either have foundations or you don't. Because if you don't, then it's like, is it Ouroboros? I never know if I'm pronouncing it right, but the snake eating the tail. Oh, okay. Constantly. Yeah. It's constant change for the sake of change then, for the sake of feelings. So being a Catholic, like, what's your take on the Pope? We were talking about this a little bit. I told you to save it for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, the new Pope, I heard an interesting charitable woman talk about uh, the last three Popes. And she... Uh, she said, uh, John Paul II led with his heart, and Pope Benedict, the last pope, led, led with his brain. 
and this pope leads with his hands. So this pope is really into kind of humanism a little, a little bit. It's like, you know, we got it's all about the poor. He's endorsing, you know, stopping climate change and he's he's a pretty liberal guy and there's a good ch just like everything. There's a good chunk of the church that says that's great, you know, and there's a good chunk that says that's not, you know, it's progressive, it's change. The whole point about truth is it doesn't change. There should be no need to change anything. Um, so he's a contentious pope for sure. Uh, the big thing that's come up is um, the ble blessing, blessing gays in, in the church. Um, and that's, you know, the conservative side sees that as uh, endorsing that behavior. And the liberal side says we're just taking care of people who are fallen and trying to. But so there's there's a lot of a lot of contention. But you know that's historically that's always been the way. The church has had good popes and bad popes. And the popes for the audience, popes are not considered infallible. They are men. They they're only considered fallible in certain situations, and it's only a handful of times in history. Um, so it's not like Catholics think they're basically God and they don't err. Yeah. They're men and they can err. It's interesting because I know a Catholic who I would consider culturally Catholic, you know, they grew up Catholic and I think it's familiar and um, they, the benefit that they get from Catholicism is that familiarity kind of, and, um, and they like the current Pope and they disliked the last Pope. I'm not Catholic. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sort of like looking in from the outside yeah. here, but um you know, uh, in fact, w one thing they told me was, well, Chris, you probably read the Bible more than me. You probably know it better than me, but it seems like, and whatever they said amounted to, Jesus was more or less a social justice warrior. <laughs> and I said, really? Okay. I, I guess, <laughs> I guess you're, you're right. <laughs> you haven't read it as much. Um, but it's interesting because in, in a way, does that just come down to marketing? And, and also for just non-Catholics, you know, like any Christian, like when you say, you know, we need to be relevant, that's just... You're, you're trying to market, but but interestingly, I heard uh, Douglas Murray one time having a conversation about this, and he's like, "What people need, want, what they need." I'm I'm Murray's not a Christian. I think he called himself a, an atheist Christian or something because uh, he values I, I Christianity. Was, I was that for uh, I was that for a long time. Right, Western civilization built on these ideas, yeah. and and he saw the value. But um, even he was saying, uh, I think the vibe is that people want. Christianity to be the real thing yeah. because they want it to mean something. People are looking for meaning. If everything's relative, nothing means anything. No, nothing matters. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, um, it's interesting. The, what I talk about, it's funny cause I went from like atheism to like full tilt traditional Catholicism, which is like, you know, it's out there. It's like, you're speaking, they're speaking Latin the whole mass the priest is faced away from you. A funny line, Michael Knowles, I think, says it. Uh, I like Michael Knowles quite a bit. And I, I found out he's like a traditional Catholic Latin mass guy. And he said, yeah, if you're on a plane, you really don't want the pilot facing you. That pilot's taking you somewhere and you want him facing to where, you, where you're going. And that's the kind of this idea behind the, you know, the 1500-year mass uh, instead of the last 50-year mass. Yeah, But um, the thing I think about is setting the bar high. You know, it's like, if you're going to be a moral person, if you're going to be a good person, uh, you know, the, this back to this debate, do you believe 
people are inherently good or bad or have a fallen nature. Um, but if you if you believe you have things that you you know need to improve on, you can call it sin, you can call it morals, whatever you want. Then, you know, you think of like a, a coach of a sports team who performs well, the ones who set the low bar, or the ones who make practice hard and yeah. set a high bar. And setting that high bar, I can tell you firsthand watching it, being new to the church and watching, I'm on this extreme, watching them, it's the high bar works. Like, it's, yeah, it's impressive. But then you get people who come in and say, well, everyone gets a trophy. And, you know, it's, it's just, you know, and the socialist thing, basically. Yeah, and, and no and, merit. And they don't do that here, you know, in the right. Latin, Latin, they call it TLM, traditional Latin mass, in that part of the church, everybody does not get a trophy. It's yeah. like you are, you know, you are not, you are not partaking of the Eucharist if you have not been to confession and, you know, got absolution of some yeah. bad sins. And, and and nobody, no other church, no other Catholic church does that. You yeah. know, I, I attend them from now. I can't barely attend them anymore because to me it's like completely, it's not, yeah. it's relativistic. Yeah, well, it's, it's fundamentally at odds with a, a lot of society because it's that inward facing versus outward facing. You know, if you believe that you're part of a world and, and your actions affect other people and you want to try to be um, altruistic and helpful to those mm -hmm. people, that's one thing. But if you're just focused on inside and how you feel, then suddenly you're a narcissist and everybody needs to bend to you rather than you bending a little bit to, to for the good of society. Like it's the... all about you then yeah. and not well, about society. You know, you said it, you said that some truths are eternal. Some things don't change and you look back now and you see it. And that's what happened to me. It's like, it's like, they've, you know, and I'm only speaking from the perspective of the Catholic Church, they've been doing it for almost 2,000 years. And so they tooled out things like, you know, my adversity, conquering adversity versus uh, appreciating what it develops. They tooled this stuff out. It's like, well, when you fast, you're creating adversity. And that has an end. That has a means to an end. That's a means to an end. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like a new thing they discovered 20 years ago. It's like a thousand years ago they were doing this. Yeah. And why? And why did it persist? And why? And, you know, you think about it. Uh, I studied Buddhism for a good long, probably decade. And, you know, a lot of these things are there, are there too, right? Meditation versus prayer. Um, you know, it's the truths are there. It's you got to go out and find them. Yeah. And we've talked about before Lewis's Tao. You know, there's just yeah. certain things that anyone from any culture, you know, basically it's funny believes. Taoism was my first, my first probably effort at, it's not even a religion, it's a philosophy, but I was really attracted to Taoism in my early 20s. So if you've ever read the Tao Te Ching. What was the draw for you? Um, you know, it has that, it has these concepts are there. It's like, there's the unlimited and then there's the limited. And for the limited to try and be the unlimited is foolish. Have you ever read the Tao Te Ching? I haven't read it. Okay. Grab the Tao Te Ching. It's small, like very short, maybe, I don't know, a couple hundred, 200 verses. And they're all like, you could, you could meditate on one of them for 
hours, probably years, I don't know. But it, it's got that, it, it encapsulates a lot of that objective reality, a lot of that universal truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting when I found out that uh, C.S. Lewis called it the Tao. Right. Uh, I would like to study Which more. he doesn't exactly mean. No, he doesn't mean the it. Same. It was his way of abstracting it. Was it, from, it was packaging. Abstracting yeah. it from Christianity. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I would recommend looking at the Tao. Yeah. At least reading some of it. This. So this is you know, if that was an assignment for me, one thing that I like about the age that we live in and AI is like, I would go hit the AI really hard here. And I would yep. say, give me all the similarities. Give me all the yeah. differences yeah. between all these. It's, and It's amazing. Yeah. I could do the thinking that would take somebody centuries in the past. Is there a benefit to that? Well, I think so. Because, uh, you know. Thinking faster? It's not about, I don't le- think le- it's. Learning faster? For me, it's not about thinking. It's accessing an I- information ideas faster, but it's, you know, I can learn at the rate that I can learn. So it's putting more there, you know, it's yeah. structuring it in a way that makes me more efficient, you know, in doing it. And I still have to have the desire to go out and do that. It's not, you know, AI doesn't get rid of work, at least at this stage for me so far. Right. There's still a lot that goes into prompting, you know, getting the re- the results that you're after, you know, yeah. that, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a, a more efficient way of encoding. Do you find yourself, here's a question for you, do you find yourself Googling less, searching less, Bing, DuckDuckGo, Google, whatever? Yeah, but um, it, it's not gone. I, what's interesting is sometimes I find myself wanting to go see what, you know, like there's, and I don't know why, but sometimes I'll do the searching from within my AI. Uh-huh. Uh, or, you know, because I just get right at the information, no ads, you know, whatever. But every now and then I'm like, I get curious about, well, you know, what does it say over here? Mm-hmm. And it's more of a curiosity, I think. What percentage, if you've decreased, what percentage would you say you've decreased? 98%. <laughs> 98%? I would Re- think so, yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, you sounded, you? You sounded so, uh, it sounded like you were hedging there. Like, yeah, it was, you no. know. So, yeah, no, it's pretty dramatic. I don't know if yeah. I'd say 98%, but it's... Uh, it might be 80%. Yeah. What do it's, you hit Google for then still? You know, navigate me to this store. <laughs> no. um, yeah. yeah, source documents sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's pretty... Or just to double check. Sometimes you're like, yeah, is I that... Don't, I don't even really double check that much. But, I mean, sometimes I do. But See? yeah. So anyway, I think, you know, the era of the search engine are, is definitely going to be on the wane yeah yeah definitely but it's not that our need for searching goes away it's just that it becomes it does it for us a thousand times more efficient or something yeah yeah Yeah. becomes our agent yeah it's i think it's similar to when we edit you know some video you know and someone does a podcast like this and there's long periods of silence and now you can have an ai yeah. that i discovered that just goes cuts all that out really quick right it's sort of like what is editing. happening search editing yeah yeah that's a good term kind let's of let's coin that yeah <laughs> that's objective yeah. realities source word right there yeah search editing um i just want to go back uh you know we we're talking about the catholic stuff the I learned recently, and you tell me if this is true or not, but doesn't Latin basically never change? And so when you're putting something in Latin, it's a way of encoding it for consistency. Yeah. And I think that's pretty interesting. And it, and it matters. You know, I had this concept when I was, you know, agnostic, where whatever you would term I was, 
Um, I had a book that that showed different versions of the Bible, and so you could go to a verse and you could see it change over time, mm. right? And I thought, well, you know, that's my evidence. It's not, you know, it's it's not. You can't depend on that because it's changed. Men have changed it. Um, and so, yeah, so it's interesting. Which isn't me. actually, I would push back on that as a concept a bit. I mean, that's a big, that's a really big topic that you just brought it's up. It's a big topic. I <laughs> brushed dropped, past it. Dropped the bomb. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a big topic. We can talk to Norman sometime. Geisler has a really great book on that, if anyone's interested. Norman? On, on how the Bible, the Christian Bible got put together, and it's yeah. uh, it's less. We'll have to have a talk sometime. Yeah. Because I'd like, I, uh, you know, the whole Septuagint is kind of an interesting big deal in yeah. my mind. So for the audience, that's uh, the New Testament, uh, the Catholic Bible has seven extra books and the Protestants don't have that, which is interesting uh, on itself and, and we can debate that. But um, yeah, it would be interesting That's a to big discuss. topic though. It is. But yeah. It's another hour or two uh, at least. But uh, yeah, the, the Latin, you know, the other, uh, the other kind of myth that I had, so I grew up Protestant before becoming disillusioned. Um, the other big myth I had was that Catholics, as your friend uh, indicated, that they don't read the Bible. They don't study the Bible as much. And shockingly, I think that may not be, I'd, I'd like to put that to the test, but the Catholic Mass like, has multiple readings from the Bible, like every Mass, like Weekly mass, daily mass, every single mass, they're reading, they're reading the Bible. Well, and they've done that forever. And for so I instance, find that interesting. This particular person, I think, will go to Catholic Church on a specific occasion. You know, it's not they're they're not engaging yeah. with it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and that and in cultural Catholic is an interesting term because you know, according to the church, they aren't really Catholic at that point because Catholicism, you have an obligation to attend mass every Sunday. Like, like it doesn't, if you don't do that, you aren't really Catholic. And yeah. so that's, that wipes away a big swath of Catholics, you know, self-termed Catholics today. Yeah. I sometimes wonder for a lot of people, you know, if we believe that there's objective truth, someone's got it right, some group of people and some don't, and probably it's more like some people have a lot of it, but not all of it. And, you know, I've yet to run into a person, even though, a lot of people get close for me that have every little thing figured out that I totally I agree with. I don't think you can, right? Truth is bigger than us, I would imagine. Right. But I think for a lot of people, you know, you could say, let's let's pretend like some group has everything mostly together, whatever the group is. I won't even name that group, but you would have to say there's some group like that, right? If you believe in objective truth. And you grow up in a family that has that. Um, there's just something about sometimes like your parents and not want, you know, if... Not wanting to rebel? Yeah, maybe, or like, if that's how you grew up, and then it depends, maybe then, did you have a good relationship with your parents, <laughs> or did you not? And Do you like the color yellow? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think for the, the person I'm thinking about, I don't know if that plays into, you know, um, their perception well, of Christianity in general, or... Yeah, you know, I don't know. I think I shared this story with you. Uh, lots of nephews and nieces are raised Catholic. Basically, all of them left the church, left. Some of them, one of them particularly became Protestant. Um, 
and I asked someone who's been at this Latin mass for 10, 20 years, and I said, what percentage of the young people that grew up in this church, you think, leave the faith, leave? And he scratched his head and talked to his wife. He's like, I can think of one. It's like, wow. It's like 98 left versus 1% left. It's like there's something about that bar being high or something about how they're communicating. Or maybe it's the parents. Uh, it's probably a combination of everything. That yeah. seems to work better. Of course, you know, not knowing, you know, as much depth on the history of that. If everyone in the Catholic faith used to be doing the traditional thing, then a lot of them did leave in, historically then. Yeah, um, except that really, if you look at the graphs, it really happened during the 70s, 80s, 90s, which was after Vatican II, after they lowered that mm, bar. You know, they... Yeah. they um, but then that wasn't the traditional thing then anymore, so... Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. part of it... You know, some small percentage kept celebrating the tradition. Right. And that's that's what I'm saying. They didn't leave. Yeah. These people did. And it's interesting, and we're getting too much in the weeds here, but um, I was watching a documentary on, because it's, it's all new to me, um, and Michael Knowles was actually one of the commentators on it. But he, they go through and they show the mass that was celebrated for 1,500 years, up until the 60s, 1960s, and then they show how it changed. And they like, like 60% of it is gone. Like they just cut it out. It's gone. Hmm. So that we don't, all these things that every saint church father did forever has been iced. Uh, and, and it happens to correlate pretty, uh, pretty timely. To well, it's the, like, uh, it's like baseball, speakers. right? They're trying to shorten the game so that people <laughs> are they? will. I didn't know that. I think, I think this happened in the last year or two or three, you know, how like they, it took too long to how play How are they out. doing that? Uh, I forget they they've changed some of the rules to just make it speed along a little more. Yeah. It's like the TikTokization of <laughs> yeah. of sports kind of. People need a, a quicker thing. Yeah. Um before we go, I wanted to ping you on this. I just wanted to see we talked about Jordan Peterson in a line that had a big impact on me earlier, which was throw everything that you've got at an idea and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. And um and basically be brave enough to do that in the first place. Um, but what do you think his impact on culture, politics, economics, now that he's getting into the ARC uh, Foundation, what do you think his impact has been? How important hmm. has he been well, on the scene? I think he's a big figure. It's like if you're searching, and we talked about this, if you're a person who feels something's not right about, you know, hacking off the genitals of young people and you feel, but everybody in your work is using pronouns in their titles and you feel a little bit alone. Finding people like Jordan Peterson is kind of everything, I think. And I think he, again, raising the bar. Hell, life is hard, you know? Rise up and meet that challenge. Right. Right. I think that's, I think he's, he's a I think he's been a great figure in, in, society overall yeah. yeah yeah he has a big intellect and that is good that that yeah. there's a lot to dig into there that a lot of people appreciate but i think his biggest contribution might be um an example yeah. of standing up for what you believe in yeah that almost matters well, more than anything people need that example you know since we threw out and i was like you a recency bias guy 
and you throw out the history, throw out the past, and it's like, ah, you know, oh, Plato, you know, Socrates, blah, 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 you know, the Stoics, who cares, and St. Thomas, I don't know. You didn't, you know, you didn't value, it's like they were antiquated and they didn't have a concept of what's going on. So then you'd come to the present. And kind of prior to the last few years, at least for me, and maybe I wasn't looking, you didn't see a lot of intellectual Christian apologists happening, right? And and as an, you know, self-proclaimed intellectual, <laughs> I, I want to be intellectual, um, you need that. Mm-hmm. It's like, I need a basis for believing this that aligns with with science and truth. And, and so having people like Peterson, uh, you know, is really helpful, I think, you know. And, and that's, talk about, you know, the good side is social media, Twitter, as an example. That's a great tool, YouTube, to allow you to find these people and, and hear them. So there's good and bad in everything. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he's uh, definitely up there on the intellectual side. Uh, you know, it's important to have that food for thought. So you say like self-proclaimed intellectual, whatever you, but you think, and that's important. I try, I try to think. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's important to have somebody like a Peterson come on and whether you agree with him or not to show you what's possible, Yeah, you know, in terms of that. And, I, and actually I feel like there are some other really great um, Christian thinkers, you know, William Lane Craig type of people who are capable of providing an intellectual uh, defense of Christianity. And Peterson obviously approaches things, I think, from a, a slightly different perspective than somebody like a, a Craig or an Ed Fazer, you know. Um, and I think that's valuable, very valuable. Still, I'm really interested in his new book, um, We Who Wrestle With God. He's posted a few. He, it's He's coming. Ex- it's funny. Yeah. I, I, I see it. I saw something a couple months ago. He's and it was it was actually about Catholicism. We saw him. It was like I think Catholicism comes as close as you can get to God. So I mean, I watch him walking from an atheist, right, to you know becoming a Christian. I, you can see it happening in real time. Yeah, and maybe a lot of that just has to do with his search. He's searching for the truth. Well, when the left came after him, it was a yeah. it was a an attack on personal freedoms on meaning itself, basically. And if you care about that stuff, you can't was it, Wasn't end up, that his book, Maps of Meaning? Yeah, and that was a fascinating one yeah. um, as well. But if you care about that stuff, I mean, it, it points you in a direction. Yeah. I mean, I, you saw that happen with Musk. You know, he's not, he's definitely not coming a, a, along the ways to uh, becoming a theist. Uh, but yeah. you see it, you see that same thing. And they attack him and it pushes him. Right. Further, right? It's like, okay, well, are these the people I was hanging out with? Because I kind of believe in free speech. You yeah, know? can I, I? I know we need to wrap <laughs> it up because the batteries are probably going to die here. But I was going to ask you. You know, I I want to through the podcast maybe a little bit help provide people expose them to some of the foundations of Western civilization. One of those being the importance of private property you know, being able to own something. Can you just give like a brief overview of why that's important? Because there's a push for people to, in the future, rent everything and not own anything. You'll own nothing and be happy, 
you know, yeah. why is private property so important? Well, I think, you know, from a capitalistic standpoint, the tragedy of the commons, if you don't own it, it just, it goes to hell, right? I mean, they, they found that out in England hundreds of years ago. So if you aren't familiar with it, the tragedy of the commons, they had a period where they would share land. Um, and so they could all graze their sheep there or whatever it was, and they could all tend to. And consequently, you get this free rider problem where people are like, well, he's going to take care of it today. I'm not going to do anything. And so nobody does anything. It all goes bad, right? They call it the tragedy of the commons. And so you have to, you know, you've heard this phrase, pride in ownership, mm-hmm. right? It's like you take better care of something that's yours. Yeah. Right? If you, uh, you go skiing and you rent those skis, you probably don't take as good care of the skis as mm-hmm. when you bring your own skis. Or if you have your own house versus a rental house, probably taking better care of that house. So it's obvious to anyone who has that situation that it's important that you you are responsible. It probably also breeds responsibility. It's probably yeah. a lot of derivatives. I'm no expert on, on it, but uh, uh, fundamentally, I think private property rights are like everything yeah it's really one of the bases because also it makes capitalism possible because if you can't own something whether it's intellectually you know intellectual property and get the copyright over you know or if something you're going to make and sell you know that's also like the basis that's the engine it's interesting because um i i wanted to start a company a few years ago which was going to um basically be like an airbnb of tools so you know, you have a lot of people with mowers and blowers and things sitting in the garage that they only use for an hour out of, you know, a 96-hour week or whatever it is. Um, and so there's definitely something about not needing to own everything. And maybe you can rent some things, but I don't know if you can move toward renting. I haven't thought that much about it. What do you think? Well, I think, um, I think the idea – I think this gets – at the heart of everything that society is dealing with right now. Like, um, what is a person? Part of the being a person is being able to, you know, have make something mm-hmm. and have control over it. And part of that is like, what is a country? And, you know, if I have a house, does that mean I can lock the door and, you know, you know, furnish it the way that I want to? Mm-hmm. If it's common and everyone has to come in, you know, not only is that bad for my physical safety and my mental health, you know, but, um, you know, like you were talking about, if it's my house, I might improve it. And that is valuable then. And I can then sell that, you know, to somebody else, you know, that, that effort is rewarded. Mm-hmm. And, um, just to have any kind of sovereignty over your life. I think it's like, um, maybe one more recognition of if, if you, understand that we have a foul nature we have uh selfishness you might kind of combine those then you can't have like communal living right if everybody was nice and perfect oh everybody chips in and takes care and it's a nice place but if they don't i mean i mean even when families you run into this where you know one kid doesn't clean up and the other i mean you, you run into this so yeah i mean just like communism if men were angels, we wouldn't need private property, probably. Yeah, yeah. Effort and every there's there's more than one kind of marketplace. It's not just economic. Like you're talking about siblings, you know. There's things that need to get done, 
and someone's got to do it and then incentives come into play and yeah there's naval um ravikant yeah he had a great great line that i kind of try and take to heart treat your family uh your immediate family communistically treat your extended family and friends socialistically and everyone else capitalistically interesting yeah and it's actually a really good thing and that has a lot to do with like familiarity and trust right and as it goes further out you can't trust so you can't treat them you can't you know so i think it's a good good actually thing i think about. that might be the the thing um that is the, the heart of the conversation trust because even if everyone was sharing a piece of land that they could graze their cattle on you got to be able to trust those people yeah yeah I mean, you can't do it right and empirically so evidentiarily yeah so. and even if you're going to be buying some uh some, a product from somebody we do this all the time you know if a brand that you've you know yeah. bought from for several years trust. changes the product trust is a big deal yeah, yeah. and so in the ai world we're going to need trust yeah well and how would someone go about that i don't know maybe they would subscribe to objectivereality.ai i think they should <laughs> well, let's call it there all right we're good yeah that seemed like a pretty 